Welcome to the Saturday Night Sound Podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Tyler Mira. Marler, very, very important question. What did you watch more of this weekend? The XFL or the Oscars? Oh, XFL. I didn't watch any of the Oscars. I watched the, I watched the, the uh, what do you call it? I watched people talk about it afterwards. Like, I saw, like, the recap, and I saw Parasite 1, which I haven't seen that movie yet. Um, and then I saw Joaquin Phoenix go off about cow stuff, and that was, a. Uh, it's interesting. It's not often you want somebody to go back into talking about politics. Yeah. And I think that was one of them for me. That was, um... Man, he's made real fired up about cows. I mean, just real fired up about cows. We've got peak off-season content in the intro. Um, I watched way, yeah. way more of the XFL. Yeah, um, you did. Though I did watch a decent amount of the Oscars as well. We were watching Miss Congeniality before, which is just an all-time great rom-com. If you don't like Miss Congeniality, yeah. I don't know, man. I don't know. It's a great movie. I haven't seen it in way too long. I made the mistake of right before my off day, um, which is like last Friday, I guess. I don't know. I... Uh, I, I couldn't get to sleep the night before, and I took way too much melatonin. Uh-oh. Like, to where I thought that the melatonin milligrams were, like, way less than the ones I took. Okay. Like, I thought there were gummies that were, like, one milligram a piece. They were five. Oh. So I was pretty much out for most of Friday, which was not great. Nice. That's not my favorite. I actually drove down uh, Friday. I was at uh, I was at IMG doing a little bit of oh, boots nice. on the ground reporting for, uh, for a story I'm working on about uh, Justin Jefferson. It was... It was the first time I think I've actually watched in person football players lift weights, and I know that sounds like yeah, a weird thing. Yeah, I can tell thing. from that text. No, was... I because so, that sounds like a weird thing because we 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 hear we hear stuff about it all the time. We'll see hype videos or whatever where like it's in the locker room and it yeah. looks really intense. But like actually sitting there in in the weight room with them, and I meant hype videos where they're inside the, the weight room, not the locker room. Um, but like actually sitting there watching Caleb on Chasen squat close to 400 pounds like it was nothing was like oh i've never actually done this where i've been like the other guy in the gym with them um so that was way different and watching the way that some of these guys lift because that's basically all i was was there for i watched them lift for like two hours and i did my interviews and stuff after yeah i was was a certified creep um but it was it was great and so uh yeah i'll have a story on that and got to talk with justin jefferson and grant delpit and um, got to kind of see a lot of those guys up close. Very star-studded room. Like DeAndre Swift was there. Um, had a lot of different LSU guys. Christian Fulton was there as well. Um, mentioned Chase and Michael Divinity. Just a lot of uh, of different star-studded um, potential first-round guys as well. So yeah, it was a it was a fun weekend for the both of us. It sounds like. Yeah. Let's talk. Um, so we have a lot to get to. We have an interview that we just recorded with Tom Hart which was just, um, man, it, it was great. It, it was peak Tom Hart. For those of you who don't know, he is a play-by-play announcer now for the XFL. He is still doing SEC hoop stuff as well. So we got to dig into a lot of different stuff there. So we are going to talk a little bit um, about both of those subjects. We have uh, some stuff that we want to go through with SEC quarterbacks because we haven't had a chance to talk about necessarily the KJ Costello news. And I want to talk about kind of a, the, the overall impact and what that sort of prompted me into thinking. Um, and then some stuff about freshman quarterbacks in the SEC as well, because I think that's a more relevant topic than maybe, at least from myself personally, maybe a more relevant topic that I gave it, than I gave it credit for last year. So I want to dig into some of the stuff about potential freshman starting quarterbacks in the SEC in 2020. But before we get to all of that and a little discussion about new, new Gus, Opening Wait, are we week- not doing basketball? 
Well, we did. We were going to do a little bit. I want to talk a little bit with uh, with Tom Hart. You know, I we were able oh, okay. to, to dig into. If you're um, a fan of a certain um, team in the state of Mississippi, you're going to be very happy with what Tom Hart had to yeah. say about your team. Spoiler alert there. Um, but I mean, we we can. Do you want to talk SEC basketball right now? I, I will say off the top, I really enjoyed like on Saturday. That's what I've all I've been doing from like like start to finish usually on Saturdays now. And then it's like we've designated Sunday as like little dog park day, which is always nice. Take kiss it at the dog park. Um, but Saturday, it's because it starts like I don't I'm not a fan of the college game day, the basketball college game day. It's just it's too removed from the fans in my opinion. I don't really it, it's it's not it's not obviously as big as the one they have for football. I love Jay Billis, but watching SC basketball because it's getting like it's like less than a month for the regular season. That Auburn LSU game on Saturday that went to overtime. Oh, it's electric! It has been, it's awesome. It's awesome. It's been awesome, and it's it's fun to watch. I think because you know, like I said, they're getting down to like the last like less than a month ago. Bama's doing what they always do this time of year, where they just choke, and so I'm just I'm watching the entire league. But it's it's interesting to watch because. This is the point where you look for everyone to separate themselves, and it's so clear as day to look at when there's like you have three teams sat at the top: Auburn, LSU, Kentucky, and all three of those teams are there's literally three of the four total teams in the entire conference that have a winning record on the road. Like the rest of the league, it's just so night and day what like the elite teams are, are able to do. And I will say, it's it's been frustrating in some sense because Florida fans, I'm not gonna get onto you too much because I know you're already mad Yikes. enough. It's just like I kept saying, like, like when is when are they gonna turn the corner? And it seems like they are turning the corner, and it's not not the corner they were hoping to be turning. Um, but it's it's starting to get a little bit worrisome because I honestly thought, you know, going going into March Madness, we would have not ten teams at all in like in the tournament, but I thought there'd be ten teams that might have a viable shot at maybe getting in. And it's just not the case. Like, we're we're yeah. looking at like maybe four or five, like at, at the on the low end, which is not not great. Yeah, it's kind of going back to what it was like three years ago. Even you got Vandy beating LSU. I mean, dude, not wasn't thrilled about that. How much did you have on uh, LSU? I didn't have any on LSU. I had him in a parlay, so I had a little bit on LSU. Mm, okay, so I, I mean, it's yeah, we're not gonna we're not gonna get too much into it. Um, all, it's funny too because like all my guys, are like my, I have like buddies that are more into gambling than I am shocking what um I know right but so because because I this like basketball like I just don't know enough about basketball for me to like invest a substantial amount of money into so my I have this buddy I'm gonna he's gonna remain nameless and I talked to my my actual bookie bookie the other day and and I was like what do you see in action on now that football's over and he's like dude tennis is like the degenerate's dream I've heard that and I was like what do you so and I have two and I've never really got into it but one of my buddies who's like he's He's big into it, like not like big where he puts like a bunch of money up, but he's just like fascinated like I am with it. And he's like, "Hey, I got a tennis guy." I'm like, "What do you mean you got a tennis? Like, of course. I, I who has a tennis guy? Dude went like 21 and two in the Australian Open. So now I have a tennis guy. So, <laughs> so anyway, that's what's going on. And then I would be remiss to uh, if we moved on from the basketball segment without me saying that um, Bama had a good win in Athens. That was all I'll say. You want to say anything else, sir? Is that all you're going to say? It's overtime. It was nice. It was a nice little... Nice little Bam, we're going to make the tournament? No, no chance, ever. We'll go to the NIT and get bounced in the first round as a one seed. That's what we do best. All right. I do want to say one listener, give a shout-out, and I can't remember their name. This is my fault. They went to Athens for the first time. They went to Amici, based on the recommendation we gave on the Bell? last week. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's it, yeah. And they went They went there. It was their first time in Athens, and it was... They said they went to Amici. They had... Um, they had uh, ten honey hot wings. They had like I think they had a slice of pizza as well, um, and I believe they said the fries. But it was uh, 
I gave him a shout out on Twitter, and then we gave. Uh, I, I actually sent the same text, like a screenshot of the text to my buddy that owns it, Barry Westbrook, and then my other buddy Josh Gentrop. And um, can't say thank you enough for going to support that. And I'm glad that they got to. They had a good nice. trip to Athens. It's great. Nice. Let's talk some XFL opening weekend stuff because we both were able to consume some of it. I didn't watch every second of XFL, believe it or not. Uh, when you're married, your wife doesn't want to watch nine <laughs> hours, ten hours of, of XFL. Um, but the neon team. <laughs> the XFL opening weekend, in one word, was what? I chose the word promising. What word would you choose? See, I don't want to say promising, and I think it's because of the same reasons you highlighted in your article today. Shameless plug for you. Thank you. About the XFL. Um, and that's because that's the same thing we said for the AAF last year. I will say, this is not one word, so I'm just going completely away from what you asked me to do. But, um, you know, last year it seemed like from day one with the AAF, it seemed like a novelty. It seemed like it was something we were going to watch but not take nearly as serious um, as Opening as, weekend as the of, of, of the AAF was good, and but the, the issue was... Not like this. Yeah, maybe not to that extent. But if you go back and look at a lot of the things that were being written, it was like, hey, this is this is fun, this is exciting, this is something that's long overdue. We couldn't yeah. necessarily foresee all of the business issues that came about so quickly. And when you're watching right. within the confines of a game, obviously we don't know the future business decisions that go in to the XFL. That's the one thing I'll I'll say in defense of yeah. of at least well, at least I guess in both leagues. I just I thought I think promising is a good word for it, and uh, even though you know, like we said, like it's, we kind of had the same thoughts on that last year the AAF. I just thought this was a little bit different, and, and I'll be the first to admit that I was wrong, even on the stuff that I kind of crapped on um, before the week with like the the onside or not the onside kick the uh, the kickoff, the, like the way the kickoff rule is. Um, I thought that was great. I, th- I thought it looks different. Yeah. It, but it, it was it was great. I, th- I thought it was really good. I, I didn't see a single punt. I will say that. Um, oh, there was the punt that uh, Mark Quet, and yes, it's his name is Mark Quet, as he pronounced before the game. Mark Quet King, the okay. former Oakland Raiders punter, he had this unbelievable punt that Pat McAfee like freaked out about because he sure. it went to the one yard line, and then somebody somebody on his team came in and then did, did essentially like a Leon Let thing and tried no. to fall on the ball, and it went into the end zone. And then Pat McAfee interviewed him like two seconds later. It was electric. It was great TV. But That's pretty cool. Um, I mean, so there was there was punts. But, yeah, it's so weird because if you punt or kick the ball into the end zone, you're, you're just like banned for life from the league. The, the punishments are so severe for punting Wait, or kicking the ball out of bounds. Yeah, so if you punt the ball, it's into the end zone, or um, if you punt the ball into the end zone or through the back of the end zone – the ball comes out to the receiving team's 35-yard line. So what essentially that is going to do for all of these coaches who punt the ball when they're in the opposing team's territory, it's going to make them say, why won't I just go for it here? Because if if I have a bad punt, it's going to come out to the 35 anyways. And then if you have a kickoff that goes out of bounds, it comes out to to the kicking team's 45. It's like a long return, essentially, if you kick the ball out of oh, bounds. Man. It's huge. But it, All I can think of is is the kid from Georgia. <laughs> it's, it's like, what's his name? Camarda. Michael Kaneda? Yeah, Camarda. Yeah, Camarda. Uh, I'm still mixing his name up with, with Tiffany Kaneda from our group. Yep, <laughs> yep the, that's exactly what you're doing. But, um, and he, he ended up, after I called him out on that, he ended up having like he a heard. phenomenal mm-hmm. rest of the year. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's crazy. I didn't realize that that was the – those are the rules. I love the transparency, though. And, and I think yeah. that the overall vision was good. And I think a lot of the, the, the things that they put in place were done with the right intentions. I absolutely love 
the fact that we can hear a replay official and the head official talk through a replay. And there is a mm-hmm. camera in the replay booth on the, the, the replay official that shows exactly what they're looking at and then them saying down to the, the head official on the field, hey, the ball needs to go onto this yard line, this is the time right. that it stopped, all these different things to make it more transparent so that it kind of takes some of the edge off of it. I sort of felt like even if there was a wrong call in that scenario, you as a fan watching it would be a little bit less mad because it, it sort of humanizes it and it makes it so that you're not just like, Oh, this is, you know, they're just talking over some bad call and this is going to come out and it's going to look really dumb and there's no accountability for it. I agree on that. I agree on that 100%. And that is one thing that I thought that was the single best part of of like the limited things that I saw from the XFL this weekend because I saw a couple of reviews. I saw one yesterday in the Tampa Bay New York game where it was like a first down from like their own four and Aaron Murray hit the tight end. He they were wondering if he made a football move because he fumbled and it was returned for a touchdown. Mm-hmm. And uh, watching the replay, I, I like I think out of out of almost like PTSD, like knee jerk reaction, I immediately turned the channel because I was like already pissed yep. because that is the you phrased it best. And the whole thing about talking over a a a, a bad call that, that that's one of the things that was so infuriating so many times this season. I don't give a blank about the NFL, but in, in college football especially when it was like I kept saying like they need to stop making themselves so prevalent in each and every game, and and, and they've been they've been such a and honestly, like a disaster, and it's not just one nece- like one league necessarily. It's just been they make themselves, they insert themselves into too many big moments. And I think there were so many times this past year where it'd be like you'd have the guy in the booth, it's like, yeah, I agree with you guys. That's a bad call. It needs to be overturned. And they'd go back to the field, and it's like, call stands. And you're like, how in the what? mother f? <laughs> like, oh man. The transparency was great, though. I like the. They'll have to figure out the balance for this because they might have overdone it in the first week where they had sideline reporters interviewing pretty much everyone. Um, that was a little bit yeah. of a weird element where, oh, you fumble you fumble a punt? Let's interview you and, and, and find out what exactly happened. That was kind of bizarre. There was one shot where, you know, I can't remember who it was. I think it was DC scored a touchdown and Diana Rossini is in the end zone trying to interview them as they're celebrating the touchdown. And it was it's just a little bit awkward from that perspective. And then... The, the whole coaches calling plays on live TV so that you can hear it is really yeah. cool. And I like it because, and I'm sure it helps out the color commentators a lot because they can essentially draw up the play before it's even happening. And it makes you feel like you're watching a replay. But the tough thing is sometimes, as we know from podcasting, if two people are talking, no people are talking. Like that's that's right. the awkward thing that they need to be able to figure out because from a production standpoint, it doesn't. It's not going to work if you have color commentators that are constantly talking over Jim Zorn or Mark Tressman. I mean, what a what a sentence that is in itself. Yeah, for real. I was. That is that is one part. And I, I will say the one thing I don't like about it, and this is just going to come off as me being somewhat petty, but also just one thing I don't like about the NFL, and that is. I love the fact there's an African-American head coach for D.C., and I love the fact there's, like, more opportunities for that because I think that's something that's glaringly missing. In the NFL, political. Yeah. In the NFL, I think it's glaring. I think it's a huge, huge – I mean, like, dude, and I can't think of his name right now. Eric Bieniemy. But if you tell Chiefs. me right now, Eric Bieniemy, the yeah. Chiefs offensive coordinator, if you're telling me that that guy doesn't deserve a shot, and it pisses me off so much, and I'm going to get heated here, but it makes me so frustrated when I watch the NFL because it's like you have this – we always say there's like a revolving door in some places where it's like 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 Cleveland, For where sure. it's like a guy's going out like constantly, and like you give him like a couple of years. Trestman was there; he was the head coach, I think, for, for the, the Bears. Bears yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, and so and, and and it like the fact that Jerry Glanville is is coaching in in the XFL, and I know it's the XFL, and it's not like it's like glamorous thing, and maybe Jerry Glanville is a perfect person to be in the XFL. I don't know. 
But the fact that he was also in the AAF and he was a coach in the NFL, I hate the fact that they just kind of regurgitate these same people and and these same names. It's like you know what that guy was a coach. He he's the he's the head coach again. Yeah. It, it's like we used to joke around about how the fact that like if you were a, a like a decent punter or a kicker, or you were you were a good second string quarterback man if you if you got one win you pretty much just guarantee yourself hey i've got a job in the nfl for life as a backup quarterback and somehow that became a a thing for coaches and it just pisses me off because it's like dude there's a reason you were fired flat out there's a reason you were fired so how are you getting these these same opportunities i'll get off my soapbox so are you saying you like the xfl what they've been doing with the coachings uh, like some of the coaching I, I i did like the fact that 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 there was an african-american head coach that's what oh, I'm okay. I, I, yeah. I like it i like the fact that they instantly gave more opportunities i wish that that would translate more to the nfl i agree with that um i, I think that the coaches are gonna sort of get coaches and players are sort of gonna get gonna get sick of the constant interviews on the sideline they're gonna be a little bit yeah. frustrated with that um but yeah i mean i i liked also and this was Number one thing for Uncle Chris watching this game, the fact that you can have betting lines on TV on the entire time. And I know you don't like him. I know you don't like Steve Levy at all. But listening to him actually talk about how a missed field goal impacted the spread and how it impacted the over, that was super refreshing to hear. And it wasn't like Brent Musburger slipping in a little little hint about gambling. It was actually talking about gambling on a live ABC broadcast. What a concept. Yeah. It's, you know, the fact that... The fact that people think it's like taboo is so weird to me. It's, it's, it's not it's anymore. Like, dude, just pre- just choose not to do it. Yeah. Just choose not to do it. It's bottom line. Um, this yeah, and Steve Levy. I don't I don't dislike Steve Levy. I dislike his partner a whole bunch. Yeah, Brian Greasy. Uh, yeah. yeah, he was the worst. And, and I, I do want to say one thing real quick, just to clarify my my previous statements on the thing, because I don't like. I'm not trying to make a political stance here at all. I because I think you should hire the right guy, regardless of race. I don't care about like if if, if that's the right person. I just think that. I get tired of seeing the same faces. That's yeah, all no, that's fair. I you think that's I mean? fair. Yeah. Okay, that's that's all I meant. Um, you I mean just hire the right guy? But yeah, I thought I thought it was interesting. I tell you one disappointing thing, and I see it here in the notes too. So I know you saw it, and and I know Georgia fans think I give them like a lot of crap and and a lot of times, but that sucked. The Aaron Murray thing sucked. He had a rough day. He had a rough day. That's I he mean, was trending on Twitter, which you never want to trend on good. Twitter when you throw multiple interceptions. And it just everybody was watching that game was saying, oh, this is why he didn't start. For the Atlanta Legends for so Man. long, when you know he actually played pretty well for the Legends on the stretch, but our guy Aaron I, was, there not was great. He could have got some help too on a couple things. Yeah, that's true. He, he did have he did have a really nice ball that he put into a very tight window uh, early on. I think it was like their scoring drive where they ended up coming away with a field goal. I think because they got into the red zone several times and just didn't come away with with anything. But I tell you what, man, you go up against that Guardians defense, you're I mean, you're asking for a long day, brother. Yeah, that's what that's what I always say. Um, a lot of empty seats. People don't like watching games in which people aren't at. But I will say this. Gambling has potential to be the great equalizer. And their ability to address that because that is so much of your audience. And now they've done things with... The, with the way that they have the scoring system set up to where a nine-point game is still a one-possession game, what they've done yeah. with inside two minutes at the end of each half to be able to say, we only have a play clock that's 25 seconds. That's how it is throughout the game. But the five-second um, five stoppage that you get for any play, even if, it, if it's a play that, that stops inbounds, that you get within those two minutes, they yeah. want these games to be closer. They want fans to yeah. be engaged yep. for the entire game. They want the person who's gambling on the game to have to sweat it out they're they're 
conscious of all of these things. And I kind of like that. And I, I don't know yeah. whether or not the XFL is going to be around in four or five years. I'm not definitively saying that it will. But if this improves football for the better, like what the original XFL did, people forget mm-hmm. that with a lot of the camera angles that they did for the XFL were revolutionary and the NFL copied all of those. If there is some sort of positive impact with big time football, I'm here for it. And I'm not going to pretend like the XFL no. is just this fad that's going to go all away all of a sudden. Are you gambling now? What's going on with you? I'm not. I'm just I mean, very like... interested. It's it's fascinating. It <laughs> yeah, really that's is. how it starts. It really is. Uh, let me tell you about tennis real quick. <laughs> um, no, I, I will say, I will say, yeah, I was proud of myself because, dude, when the XFL or when the AAF hit last year, I, like, from from game one, I was like, in, let's do this. Who are we gambling on? Didn't know anything about the teams. Yep. I didn't gamble on a single uh, XFL game this week. Will you next weekend? I'm trying to. Oh, definitely a thousand percent. I think you have to. Um, now that you got but, a proof see, of concept too, you can kind of see, all right, what do these teams do yeah. week one? Not as much of a mystery. Right. I, I think one thing that's cool about this, and I think part of it, part of it goes, this, this is a thing that happened, I think, of the AAF as well, but um, with the AAF really like diminishing, because I I don't think people were choosing the XFL over AAF necessarily. Bob Stoops did, um, but the players I don't think necessarily did. One thing I think that, like Greg McElroy touched on this at one point, which was he brought up the fact that like, like, people don't understand this when they when they transition from college to the NFL a lot, but it's just like lost on people for whatever reason. Is those fifty three man rosters in the NFL are not easy to make. They're not. It's just flat out not easy to make. And there's a reason why, you know, like people get worried. It's like, well, you know, like he was undrafted. A lot of the a lot of the people that get drafted in the sixth, seventh round don't make a roster. Yeah, at all. Just because you were drafted late, like, like honestly, like if you're not drafted, like if you're you're not drafted in the top four rounds, you're not necessarily. It doesn't look great for you to land on a team. You know what I mean? Like it's it just it's kind of a crapshoot after that, um, and that's why a lot of times I think if you're a free agent and you get to choose where you go, that's that's usually a better fit for you uh, coming out of college. But but a lot of these guys that were playing the XFL, they were there's a there's not that much of a difference or a gap like a talent gap between I'm not saying between them and NFL stars or NFL Pro Bowlers or NFL starters even, but there's not that much of a talent gap between them and. I don't know, the bottom 10 on that roster? Yeah, There's it's opportunity. Not. It's all about so, opportunity. Yeah, I like seeing Cardell yeah. Jones, Jordan Tamu, these guys who, you know, you kind of wonder what life could have been like had they just gone to the right situation, not a college. I'm not yeah. saying that they would have had success in a variety of places, but you just kind of wonder. You see the talent out there on the field, and you think, you know, they're, they're, these guys could make next-level throws, and it's nice that they're going to be getting yeah. this, this sort of opportunity. Bradley Silva's best defensive player in the league. There you go. Wow, that's a fire take. You're going to be gambling on that that specific aspect next week, aren't Without you? Without a doubt, yeah, yeah. For sure. He's got a good lead. Let's let's transition back to the SEC. We've got a late arrest, new Gus. We haven't had a chance to do this just yet, but after the comments that he made after signing day, I thought it was sort of appropriate that we lay new Gus to rest. Now, if you're wondering what exactly those comments were, Gus Melzahn came out and said that... Chad Morris has play calling duties because he is the best offensive coordinator in college football. That is the only reason that Gus gave up his play calling duties. The thing that we praised him for throughout the entire offseason, and we said new Gus is an alpha. He's popping wheelies on his motorcycles. He's doing curls. New Gus is here to stay. He's gone. He's dead. He has given away his play calling duties to Chad Morris, and he's essentially said, I'm going to basically... Base my entire future on whether or not you can succeed with Bonix. 
And I man, what a, sort of puked uh, what a, in my mouth saying that. <laughs> uh, you know, it's like it's like two things, man. I'll tell you what. And, and New Gus, we'll give you a proper send-off here. Uh, I've got gum in right now, which I know you hate, but... You've got gum recording a podcast? It's, it's specifically for this segment. Because the fact that Gus, New Gus, old Gus is always just chomping down on gum. But this reminds me of that scene in The Step Brothers when he comes in and he's like, Yeah, I, 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 went to, I woke up at 10 a.m. this morning. I'm miserable. Like he's just traded in like all of his action figures, his his night vision goggles. He traded in. He got he had to get insurance. He started using baby baby Tylenol, which is, you know, they say it's better for for heart health. Bought toilet paper, um, a lot of it. A lot of toilet paper, a lot of toilet paper. Um, it's it's this is I just I, I picture old Gus just running around gallivanting, if you will, around town, um, in Auburn, just running amok. And now he's just you know he's the old dude. He's still going to Waffle House. But it's not at 3 a.m. anymore after a long night. It's at 6 a.m. with all the other regulars <sighs> where, like, Tanya Tucker's on the jukebox and he's reading, like, a paper by himself in a, at, at the counter by himself but still saying stuff out loud like, this, <laughs> I'll be, this country is going to hell in a handbasket. That's that's the new, new Gus. That's the difference three hours could make. The difference between yeah, 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. <laughs> significant, let me tell you. Does new Gus just go to the grave and tag team old Gus and they just do sort of a swap where, you know how you see the Undertaker gift all the time? Is there something no. with, with somebody that just climbs into a grave? Because I feel talking like... about spirits from the dead? Yes. What are you talking about, That's what I'm crazy? talking about. That's what I'm talking okay. about. But this comment... about Chad Morris. <laughs> this comment raised eyebrows, and understandably so, because I have said many times before, look... I think that there are people in college football who are better suited to be assistants rather than head coaches. I think Chad Morris is one of them. I think Chad Morris is going to have more success as a coordinator yeah. than he will have had as a head coach, which isn't saying a whole lot. What a hot take, man. Yeah. You really set yeah. the bar pretty low. The only low. way to go is up. But I went and looked back at this because I wanted to figure out is Gus a little bit off his rocker to say this? Which I, I know everybody credits Deshaun Watson's success to Chad Morris bringing him to Clemson. I, I get all of that. But I wanted to kind of go back and look and try and figure out, is this actually a legitimate thing to say? And there's a point that I want to make with all this. So if you look at his scoring offenses from the five years in which Chad Morris was an offensive coordinator, which, by the way, not that long of a time to do that. 2010, when he was at Tulsa, he had the number five offense in the country. 2011 when he went to Clemson, number 24, and then number 6, number 8, and number 53 offense in America in 2014. That was after Taj Boyd graduated. Taj Boyd came out last week and said he thinks Bonex is going to have a monster year with Chad Morris calling the plays. I say all this because I kind of wonder, have defenses caught up to Chad Morris's offense? And is it fair to wonder if this is just... Look, he was ahead of he was ahead of the curve at the time, and and that was back in the era when you know at the start of the 2010s when mobile quarterbacks who can stretch the field were still considered somewhat of an anomaly. Anomaly. I can't even say that word. I got this. But I sort of wonder, looking at his lack of success against Power Five opponents during his time as a head coach as well. A time in which he averaged 18 points against Power 5 defenses, did not beat a single Power 5 team during his time as a head coach at SMU and as his time as a head coach at Arkansas. And I sort of just wonder, how can we definitively say that this guy is going to be good as a coordinator? I just don't know because all the quarterbacks that he shuffled through last last two years, seven quarterbacks. And it's like, you're not willing to adjust your system to, the, to fit the personnel. Bo Nix is going to be the starting quarterback. 
Are we really sure that Chad Morris's offense is going to blend perfectly with Bo Nix? I don't know. I honestly don't have any idea. No, and Gus has so much more confidence not. than I do. <laughs> okay, here, yeah, he does. Here's the thing. You talk about Chad Morris was a great offensive coordinator at Clemson, blah, 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 blah. Um, they had, they had 20, you brought up like the, the years they had here, right? And you said. Got better oh, after he sure left. I had this right. So in 2012, 2013, they did get better after he left. 2012 and 2013, he was sixth and eighth in the country in scoring defense, right? Or scoring offense. Then they dropped to 53. So in 2012 and 2013, they were actually ranked ninth both years in total offense, yards per game, right? You know where they dropped to in 2014? With Taj Boyd. Taj Boyd was gone in 2014. Okay, sorry. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Deshaun Watson um, so they, was they there. Only, they only part. had Deshaun Watson. He was there in part, okay, but he was point. not the full-time starter in 2014. I think he only started three or right. four games that year. So do you know what do you know what uh what they're ranked in total offense? Sixty first. Oh, I was gonna say sixty ninth. There you go. Um almost almost right in the middle. When you look at Chad Morris, and I don't want to say that he was he had guys that made him better than he was, but um let me say this this way. He had guys that made him better than he was. Because when Taj Boyd was there in two thousand thirteen, not only was Taj Boyd there and talking about that two thousand twelve team as well. You also had Sammy Watkins, who's a first-round draft pick. You also had Newt Hopkins, Newt Hopkins, uh, who is one of the best receivers in the league. You had guys like Mike Williams, who's a five-star, Artavius Scott, who's a five-star, Jordan Leggett, who was a, a like a big, highly ranked tight end. Um, the running back situation. You had Ellington. You had you had all these guys that you brought in. There were five stars that really didn't do much under him besides Watkins and Hopkins. He, I think, he was greatly helped from those two seasons. And the fact that you had a guy like Taj Boyd, who is, I think, one of the more underrated. He he was basically, he was basically Clemson's Aaron Murray. He was a a, a guy that ate up stat books yep. like for like it just for his entire career was is one of the he's one of those guys that really helped turn that entire program helped turn the corner to kind of make it into what it is today. But we see how much they struggled when he was gone, and I don't care what he did at SMU because I I think that led him to Arkansas, and we saw how bad he was, literally like with quarterbacks this past season. So I don't think that – I'm not saying this because it's Auburn at all. I think, one, there's a reason why Booby Whitlow is gone. And I know we're going to talk about that in a second. Yep. But there's a reason why a guy like that who's your leading running back in this in this offense from last year is gone. And I think one of the reasons why Gus is – like I think this I think it's not a super big difference in terms of their philosophies of their offenses – but I think that Chad Morris is going to try to air the ball out, and in my opinion, they're yep. going to throw the ball at least a lot more than they did last Which year. Which is crazy. And when you have a guy like Bo Nix, I, I don't see like I, he listen. He was a freshman last year, and I don't want to be too hard on him because he was a freshman and he made some big time throws. He made some big time throws in that Bama game. But it's also a guy that we saw, like like Will put it best. There's like three to five times in every single game that Bo Nix played, no matter what it was. There was three to five times where he did something you're like, whoa, like how did he do that? And there were three to five times that were like, Jesus, why did he do that? And and I, I think that, you know, he'll improve upon the mistakes and be a better player when he's not a true freshman in the SEC. But how, what's the ceiling, dude? Like, is he going to all of a sudden just, is he going to be Taj Boyd? Because I don't see it. You know what no Auburn fan said last year? Hey, we should throw the ball more. We need an extra second on the clock. <laughs> I knew that was going to come up at some point. No Auburn fan actually thought that they needed to throw the ball more. Chad Morris is going right. to throw the ball more. Why that worries me is because you've got one returning offensive lineman. It's a center. You've got yeah. you've got your blind side to be able to protect. You've got your I mean, the the protection that Bo Nix is going to have to get to be able to run Chad Morris's offense. 
I think it's questionable. I, I really do. And now, you know, we hear the the surprising, surprising news that came out on signing day about Booby Whitlow entering the transfer that portal. Was. And that news hits you and you're like, wait a minute. This is somebody who led the team in rushing each of the last two years. It's not like they each all Each of the last two years. Right. Not like they all of a sudden got a new head coach. He's not going to be a grad transfer, so it's not like he's got eligibility immediately or something like that. He's seeking something closer to home or whatever it is. You didn't necessarily hear the exact reason of why he transferred, but I would be surprised if Chad Morris's offense, which is going to feature the running backs catching more out of the backfield as opposed to you know getting their traditional workload, that's going to be more of a part of it. I'd be surprised if that wasn't some sort of a factor. I think that's that's fair to at least wonder about, right? Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I, I think, and, and to be fair, I don't know that that's why he left. Nor do but I. That, that is that is the reason why I would like. If you're looking at, it, you're like, hold on. Why would the lead running back in a Gus Malzahn offense? He was going to be the guy. There's no question about that. Leave. Yeah, and and I you could you could maybe say like, you know, maybe it's because he didn't have that offensive line coming back, and he was worried about that. Sure, I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe maybe it was, but I, I don't think that's what it was. And what worries me on this is, you know, they, they get Anthony Schwartz coming back because he's somehow only a sophomore this year. Is he? He's debating coming been there back since he's 1979. Debating. He's debating though because he's he's considering a. Has he officially? I don't think he's officially announced whether or not he's going to. Stick I have with no idea, but I wish the NCAA would stop screwing around, let him go run the Olympics and win a gold medal for the country, and then come back. I'd be on board. With I'll that. say it. Yeah, <laughs> let, let me be the first um, to say. Yeah, let me be the first to say it. Uh, you know, you lose you lose Sal Canella, you lose Will Hastings, you get Eli Stove back, which is good. But you don't have a receiver besides Seth Williams. And Seth Williams is good. I thought Seth Williams was good. You don't have a guy that's like necessarily like that guy's gonna go up and get it and he's gonna be the difference maker. Like I'm trying to think of the best way to put it. He's Seth Williams is a is a good receiver. I think he's a really good SEC receiver. He's not a Jamar Chase or a Jerry Judy. Bonix doesn't like have a, it, a bunch of guys who are gonna make him look better than he is. Right, that's the best way to put it, and and, and maybe Bo Nix. I'm fully aware that Bo Nix was was a, a state champion. I'm I'm fully aware. I think he was a state champion. Yeah. Maybe I'm not fully aware of that. Okay, I'm I'm definitely fully aware that he was an All American and a five star and all that good stuff. What worries me is, and I, we said this going into last season, it, it does make a difference when you have five starting linemen coming back going into a season, especially when the adverse of that going into this year is that you have one, and it's your center, which is, that's, if you could choose one, besides maybe left tackle, maybe that's the guy. I just, I don't, I don't know how this is going to play out, because these other guys, and I'm sure there's at least one angry Auburn fan listening to this right now, that's like, well, Sean Stivers, he's he's a guy that blew up Xavier, Xavier McKinney. I am all in, by the way, I am all in on the Sean Shivers, DJ Williams combination. I've, I said to you during, so mad at you I said to you during that LSU game, I'm like, I, I really no, let like me say DJ it, Connor. Let me say it for you, because I, when you said this, I, I literally... It, you over the roar of Death Valley, I think you could hear my eyes roll. Yes, because because he he literally said DJ Williams breaks off this long ass run, right? And he and I will say to this day, he ran himself out of bounds. And Auburn could have won that game if he didn't run himself out of bounds. Yeah. I'm not going to give Grant Delpit the credit on that, but he goes out of bounds at like I don't know, like the he gets like a 70 yard run, and, and Connor tells me he goes. I think DJ Williams is the next great Auburn back. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I've been prisoner of the moment. I've been, no, I, I said that the week before. I said that on the podcast before that because no, was, I was talking it was about it. was definitely after. No, I had, said it, I had said it before because I was talking about it during the Arkansas game, I remember. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, this guy actually has – we asked we asked Cole about him too. And I remember we, we had talked about him more, but we had talked about him because Booby Whitlow we thought was going to be out until that Georgia game. And he had been yeah. out with that injury, and all of a sudden, like – because we were 20 rows up on the 50-yard line. Shout out Mickey Sheremy. 
And we were wondering, why in the world is Booby Whitlow on the exercise bike? We didn't even think that this guy was going to be dressed. And this is one of those things that when you're at a game, you don't necessarily consume Twitter or whatever in the same way that you would typically. So we didn't see any sort of update on Booby Whitlow until we saw it with our own eyes that he was on the sideline. And there were people that were sort of wondering, you know, because that was a really awkward dynamic. He apparently wanted more work in that game. He felt like he could have made a difference, but he was still... I thought at least a month removed or like a month shy of when he was supposed to come back or whatever it was. And so there were people wondering maybe there was some sort of rift with the coaching staff that started then. I don't know. But I I remember being surprised at how awkward that situation was and thinking that I did not expect to see him on the field at all that day. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And, uh, you know, I will say, to be fair... um, I mean, Tank Bigsby coming in. He's he's in some some people have said he's the number one recruit in the number one running back. Yeah, for real. Um, like he, he needs to put on twenty pounds before he's like Tank needs to gain. I, I hope. I hope. Yeah, I hope. I hope he puts on twenty pounds and just runs over people. Minus Avery like Sean Shivers. Oh, yeah, there it is. Um, no, I mean, like, I, and I don't. That's not to say that DJ Williams and Sean Shivers might not be great, but it's just it's a concerning thing. I think it would be a concerning thing. I hope this doesn't go off like it did with uh, with the LSU stuff when, when we would like say something which you seem so simple and being like, hey, it's concerning you're losing 14 starters, right? And then LSU fans, some LSU fans were like, you're an idiot. It's not concerning at all. We're gonna like we're gonna reload. All all I'm saying is the Booby Whitlow thing is kind of concerning, and it it leads me to think they're gonna try to throw the ball more. And I think again, I think Seth Williams. I said it going into last season. He was one of the one of the guys I, I think put in my top ten for guys I thought was going to emerge and turn the corner as one of the stars in the SEC. I, I don't know if you could say he necessarily did that because that receiver class last year in the SEC was absolutely loaded. Really good. It could be a guy that does that this year. And and he's 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 a you know he, he's kind of a mismatch for for a lot of a lot of DBs in the SEC. I just don't know if that's going to be enough. Yeah, I don't know how that's going to play out. Can we have Seth Williams be your your Lynn Bowden for twenty twenty? No, oh. absolutely not. I was Don't I was just this, gonna man. try and talk to talk you into. Being you heard it here first. DJ Williams is gonna win the Heisman, as said by Chris. Nah, Williams, nah, said nah. First. nope, nope, nope. <laughs> I think I, I, DJ Williams thousand yard season. Heard it here first. Um, yeah, well, duh. Under Gus, I mean, he, under Chad Morris now. Season. Under Chad Morris, different story. I didn't even look at his rushing yard. anyway. Let's group SEC quarterbacks. I think when the news hit about it's KJ, like kill Mary screw. Essentially, yeah. Um, when the news of KJ Costello going to Mississippi State came out, the Stanford grad court, grad transfer quarterback that Mike Leach hand plucked to be able to run his offense in 2020, when that news came down, it made me realize, you know what? Ranking SEC quarterbacks, we've tried so far to sort of do it, and it just it just kind of sucks. So yeah, I, I thought you've, you've really really taken a disliking to this haven't you it's it is it's brutal it, it is absolutely brutal so i i figured you know what i'm gonna put quarterbacks in groups i'm gonna put them all in boxes i'm gonna do the proverbial thing that we're told not to instead of ranking them so i came up with with groups for a variety well for every sec quarterback so i'm gonna kind of run through these and i want to i want to get some of your takeaways here so this is the um the promising power five transfer who i need to see with new surroundings before i go to bat for them Believe it or not, as specific as that sounds, there's four people yeah, in that huh? group. Four people. Uh, KJ Castell, Jamie Newman, Sean Robinson, who sat out this past year at Mizzou, the TCU transfer, and Felipe Franks at Arkansas. The We've seen them be good in their current systems, but not great yet group is Kyle Trask and Kellen Mond. Also probably going to get the most love for preseason All-SEC. This is the, I took my lumps as a first-year starter, but I'm ready to be the man in year two group. 
that consists of John Rice Plumley, Bo Nix, Ryan Holinsky, and yes, Terry Wilson. I'll explain that in a minute. And then this group is the extremely small but encouraging sample size in a potentially dominant offense. That group, oh. two deep, Mac Jones, Miles Brennan. And the there are at least three guys who can start in week one group, Tennessee and Vandy. Shout out State of Tennessee for that. So if you go back to some of these things, like the I took my lumps as a first-year starter. What sample size did you get from Miles Brennan? It's very limited in this offense. I think I think what, what LSU fans saw last year, because he, he played in relief. I mean, Joe Burrow was out early in a lot of those games. He actually looked good in relief. And he somebody who has gained weight was actually willing to run yeah. with the football, which I think was the most encouraging thing than any single pass that he threw. But I think LSU fans watching Miles Brennan last year, yes, in garbage time as well, and it's different when you are the person and there's more there's more film on you. He had 40 attempts. Yeah, not many. Extremely small and samples. Nine rushing, nine rushing attempts. Yeah. Runs were actually good, though. Runs were actually good. I don't know. He had one touchdown. I don't know if I would put him in the same group. As, as as the Mac Jones thing. Yeah, that's that's fair. I would say, I would put him in the first group, in my opinion, of of like people that still need to. I, I think he can because he was a force or recruit, a highly like. There's a reason why Miles Brennan is still at LSU, and I think it's because he like the coaches see something in him, and and you know that first year too with with uh what do you call it, with Joe Burrow like. I think Joe, we all expected Joe Burrow to be the guy since he came from Ohio State and, and was brought there to be the guy. But I think Miles Brennan had, from everything that we could tell, like at least early on in fall camp, he had a, a decent fall camp. He had a decent fall camp, but not a decent enough one to make LSU coaches think that he could be the guy. That's why they went out and yeah. got Joe Burrow. And the 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 weight stuff has been a very popular topic of conversation. And now that that's actually up at the level that it needs to be, there's a, a thinking that. It was last year. I mean, it was throughout 2019, and we could see that in a limited sample size. And I think it was promising. So I, I, I put him in that group, recognizing that, yes, he doesn't necessarily have two games against top 25 defenses away from home looking good like Mac Jones did. Yeah. But still, limited sample size. Kind of want to see what both of these quarterbacks look like when there's actually more film on them and defenses can game plan for them. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I, I think the, the promising power five transfer, these are so specific. Isn't it? <laughs> um, I, I would so I would say we've seen them be good in their current systems, but not great yet. I would move Bo Nix in that um, away from the other mm. the other group, and I'd probably honestly. Uh, and, and the only reason why is this because I think starting starting as a freshman in the SEC, and I know everything we just said about him. I don't expect him to grow as a passer as much, but starting in the SEC as a true freshman is not not easy. Um, I think even just going up against the ones in in practice. You know, which I'm sure they didn't do every day, but the fact that they, they were able to do it and he had to go against that D line, I think that's probably something where he's going to be a lot more seasoned of a veteran in in year two. Um, and you know, it, I think we talk about like their current systems. The one thing about the Chad Morris system, when you look at like what he did at Clemson versus like I, I don't think that they're going to start necessarily airing it out. And there's a reason why Booby Whitlow left, but maybe the reason why is because in those offenses, you know, who the second leading rusher was and the person who led that team in scoring touchdowns for 2012, 2013 and 2014 Boy. In, in rushing touchdowns. It was the quarterback yeah. every single year. Um, and so maybe, maybe that's why I think, I think uh, in year two, when he has a little bit more faith, when Gus has a little more faith in him, um, I think he could, he could maybe flourish, but I don't know. The John Rice plumbing thing, I think is the most interesting storyline here. Because that's a guy that I, do we do we know what he is as a quarterback? Because he was run first. He's fantastic. Like he, he's he's one of the best athletes in the entire conference, regardless of position. 
I, is he is is that going to be what? Is he even going to start in Lane Kevin's offense? I'm, I'm not 100% sure that he will. My my guess, if I'm sitting here predicting today, is yes, that he is going to be the right. best option because I think Lane's system has a little bit more wiggle room than, say, a, a Mike Leach, where if, like, Leach's system is, is very, very specific in that if you don't have that accuracy as a quarterback, you just you just simply can't operate Leach's system. You, you're yeah. not going to be successful at all. The, the offense is so pass-heavy and pass-reliant that you're just not going to be able to sort of work your way out and move the ball and sustain drives, and you're not going to find yourself in a good place with Leach. Whereas with Kiffin, I think Kiffin is more willing to say, look, if we have somebody who's a little bit more mobile, like, he, he was successful mm-hmm. with Jalen Hurts in his offense. Somebody who is taking a little bit of time to sort of figure it out as a passer and can't necessarily stretch the field at a very high level yet. Kiffin is still willing to design the offense around them. And if he feels that John Rice Plumley is his best playmaker, which as of what we've seen so so far between he and Matt Corral, yeah, I'm giving, I'm giving him the edge, and I think he is going to give Ole Miss the best chance to win. Things can change, though. I mean, Lane is going to yeah, do what disagree. Lane wants to do. Oh. And, well, I tell you what, and people forget this too, but that last touchdown drive that in the Egg Bowl with the famous missed PAT, that was led by Corral. That was. People forget that. He kept coming up the bench in that game. Um, I think the Terry Wilson lot, the, the Terry Wilson thing will be interesting. Um, the stuff with Helensky, is he going to turn the corner and be healthy for a full season and, and have help around him? Um, I don't. I, this is something I just literally saw today, and, and I'm sorry for being late on it, but... Uh, like did all of South Carolina's assistance coach assistant coaches leave? Gosh, like, what weird happened there? Weird time. Um, very weird. Um, our boy Eric Kimry from Hammond might might get a call to the big leagues there mm, uh, and take the job. Funny how that, that works happen. out. Yeah, right. But uh, I, I will say I think the the stuff with that I I almost don't want I don't disagree with like the groupings you have for Tennessee and Vandy because I think um, I think they're spot on if you say there are at least three guys who could start in week one. But the Tennessee thing is so interesting to me because everyone's so high on this freshman quarterback. Harrison and, Bailey, yeah. And, yeah, and, and I think with good reason. And from everything we saw as a recruit and all the stuff you hear about, because sometimes that kind, of, that kind of stuff can change from site to site. Like on like, you know, who's high on him. This, this has been something I think is pretty universal and consistent among like every single site, whether it's rivals or 24-7 or whatever. But if JG, once again, is not the guy and he is – Given everyone the reason, like reasonably, that he's not. Do you do, is it taking a step back by starting a true freshman quarterback in a season year three under Pruitt, where you really want to see like, you know, the the second half of the season they want to see that for the full season. You know what I mean? Like, and give Tennessee fans what they've been waiting on because how much more patient is that fan base or even the coaching staff gonna be before they they are turning the turning the corner with as Philip Fulmer said, taking a bite out of everybody else, everyone they plays is. Tennessee is back, according to, to Philip Fulmer. Um, who, who they're back with uh, in terms of their starting quarterback remains to be seen. I have no idea because I, I can make the argument for, for both sides of it. There are, there's a portion of the fan base that's probably thinking to themselves, look, we're gonna, we're finally, we finally have this talented offensive line. Our defense we know is going to be good next year. Why not just put out the guy who we think can, can manage the game the best and not turn the ball over? And then there's going to be another portion of the fan base that's going to say, well, we're sort of limiting our, our ceiling by doing that. Why not roll out somebody like Harrison Bailey and yeah. see if they are talented? Brian Maurer, somebody who showed some promise but obviously dealt with concussion issues down the stretch, that seems a little bit more inviting than running it back with your boy, JG, because 
you know, yeah. he's no longer in consideration to be the number three quarterback in the SEC. There are people that might believe he's the number three quarterback at Tennessee. I don't know. Well, nobody has any idea yet, and spring ball might do a lot in determining that. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I will say, I'll go out on a limb here. I know we've already done our quarterback rankings, which are set in stone and can never be never be placed or never be uh, never. redone never again. again. Um, the guy I think that I'm like I'm coming around most on, and you know, I know a lot of you are thinking I'm going to say Mac Jones, and and I am. Uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> is is Kellen Mond, and and people people love to hate on they Kellen do. Mond really for some do. reason. And it's bizarre to me because it's like, dude, I don't, I don't know what this guy did to y'all, but he's been, like, you, you show me. There's not another quarterback in the SEC. I think Kyle Trask is so underrated for what the season he was able to do or to, to have this past season. Um, but the thing with Kellen Mond, when you talk about a guy that is coming off back-to-back seasons where he averaged over 30 touchdowns and 3,400 total yards, and like, like on the ground and through the air, and and he did it with like. He's going to go in year three of Jimbo. I, I think just Jimbo has a proven enough track record to where like he's only going to he's only going to improve. And I would just be shocked. I would be shocked if he stayed the same and didn't have like a drastic improvement uh, this upcoming season. Because I tell you what, man, we've talked about it before. From a sheer number standpoint, I guarantee you, all, get all this hate about Kellen Mond out now. Get all of it out now because when the season starts, they don't have Clemson. They don't have a road game against Clemson coming up. First 10 they games really don't cake. have anyone. Those first 10 games are absolute cake, and he is going to put up monster numbers compared to what he did a season ago. Kellen Mond has, and I'm not saying that he's the best quarterback in the SEC, but he has the most ways to beat you of any quarterback in the SEC. Yeah. I, I think that that's fair. Um, and there are a lot of people who are going to be down on him and saying that he's overrated coming into to every single season. I got a lot of comments like that when I did my initial SEC Man. quarterback rankings, but we'll discuss more of that later on. KJ Costello is, is somebody who intrigues me a lot because I'll, I'll yeah. say it right now, he's going to lead the SEC in passing. I firmly believe that. Yeah. I mean, I don't think doubt. there's any any question about that. The volume in that offense is just off the charts ridiculous. But yeah, um, yeah the, the dynamic now with Garrett Schrader and what happens there had a whole lot of Mississippi State fans in my mentions about that because I threw out the idea like, look, if this kid, this kid is a prime example of somebody who should be given the, the ability to to play immediately if he did want to trans if he did want to transfer this year. Now a lot of Mississippi State fans hopped in my mentions and said, look, he's he's gonna sit out this year. Costello's gonna play because Schrader has the redshirt available and he's gonna play three years under Leach. I'm thinking to myself, Leach has already picked somebody else once and there's no guarantee that Leach is going to pick Schrader next year. All I was saying, and I have no idea if Garrett Schrader's going to transfer or not. Maybe he does stay. Yeah. I have no idea. But the idea like he basically would have the same exact argument that Tate Martell made. And I thought that somebody in his position who actually played as a true freshman would have a really good case. I realized, yes, Mississippi State fans, Michigan State players, after what Mark D'Antonio did to that program, they should also be allowed to play immediately elsewhere. Yes, fully, fully yeah. on board with that. Uh, you know, I'm not going to get into the D'Antonio thing at all. Did you call him uh, D'Antonio? D'Antonio? I just said D'Antonio. I don't, I, it's the way I say Ian. Because um, of Mike D'Antonio. D'Antonio. Sure, whatever. Sure. Um, Mike D'Antonio... He he has. Uh, I, just, I, I think I'm just saying the answer. You're just part. saying Mike instead of Mark. What, who's it? Am I saying Mark? Mark is his name. Mark. Mark I don't D'Antonio. care. I really don't care. Mark D, Mark D'Antonio. Um, I, I just I don't think that what he did. Like I, I think everyone has a reason for why they leave stuff. But if you're one of the people that's like actually believing that that like if you're this staunchly opposed to the transfer portal. And there's a situation like this that pops up, 
and and you can't see how it's it's frustrating or how you, you can't see how like one-sided it is for coaches versus players it's like dude this is why this is one of the reasons why the transfer portal is in place is because you have these coaches that just abuse the system and and Whoa. we have to give concessions to the What yes. are we talking about abusing the system? There's nothing wrong with taking a 4.3 million dollar bonus and then, you know, signing a crap recruiting class and then quitting your job a few weeks later when you have a lawsuit and saying that you're tired. No, 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 There's not a few weeks later. Wrong with the that. day before signing day. Well, a few days after you accepted the bonus. Right. And who is who was it that was like it was it was a it was an SEC player whose brother was recruited by. I think it was a Georgia player. Um I can't think of it who it was, but it was it was like a it was a, it was a like a household name. Like like it was a guy that everyone like be familiar with like from like the podcast listeners that basically was saying like this man recruited my brother, told him he was gonna be there, and he like he's like and then two weeks later he's gone. Like that's just not okay. It's not okay. It, it just we, we sit here and we put so much pressure on these kids like the, like the I'll get on a soapbox here the Jordan Birch thing the Jordan Birch thing which which everyone was like I think Cole Kubik said it best and he was like man Cole Kubik brought up the fact that this looks bad on Jordan Birch yeah. not necessarily South Carolina and we're gonna start remembering this these like they they said this flat out like the moment he has a bad game a bad moment does something off the field does something that, like any 17 18 19 year old kid is capable of doing and has done before. Uncle Chris did it all the way into his twenties, okay? But like anything like that that happens, you instantly go back and you want to you want to target this kid because of yep. how high profile recruit he is, and he becomes. I don't, I don't care how this sounds. This is this. I forgot who said it on ESPN, but they're they're perfectly spot on. It's cyberbullying. It goes into this whole cyberbullying thing of these guys and makes them easy targets. And I think that's one reason why people are trying to leave so many places so quickly is because the moment you don't produce for these rabid fan bases is the moment that you become a bust or you become overrated or whatever else. And I, I just I think I just think it's so frustrating when, when you have I don't remember the point of why we got onto this, but it just it, it just pisses me. Yeah, I was me wondering off. where it this was sparking. so mad. Yeah. I just it, it just I'm just tired of like the whole I think recruiting especially it's 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 such a, a miserable season to be a part of because it's like, man, we, we put a lot of expectations on these kids and then the moment that the like the the, the the mark D'Antonio Dan I just can't say Dan Anyway, the moment that a guy like that walks away, yeah, we see it in the news for like a day or so, but it doesn't stay with everyone forever. And that guy will—he'll have fields named after him. He'll have, excuse my language, but he'll have all sorts of shit named after him at Michigan State because of his time there. And the way he left was flat out disgraceful. Jordan Birch should have fields named after him. That was my takeaway from he, that. He, I named my front yard after Jordan Birch. That might be too much, Marler. I named it Williams Birch Stadium. <laughs> Speaking of signing day stuff, um, now that we know what these these quarterback rooms potentially are going to look like, for the most part, stuff still happens. A very fluid process, the transfer portal is. But I feel like we should look at which potentially true freshman quarterbacks can start a game this year. Because I think that there are there are a handful that I would not be surprised to see honest on a you know starting for an SEC team this year after a year in which half the SEC rewind that half the SEC <laughs> started a true freshman quarterback Francisco. at least once which is crazy to think about so yeah. i have a top 5 five guys who i think could be starting not saying they're going to be the week one starter definitely not saying that all right guys listen up here's connor's top 5 quarterbacks <laughs> in the SEC Go. this this subgroup is the true freshman who could start the SEC <laughs> 
Uh, number five, I got Max Johnson at LSU, just because Danny Etling, not Danny Etling, wow, Miles Brennan, wow. a little bit of an damn son, a little bit of an unknown because of the fact that he's never started before, never, never had this entire season holding up as an SEC starter. Number four, Carson Beck, the uncertainty right now with the Georgia offense and all of these moving pieces. I threw out this, and I'm not predicting the future, but. With that new offensive line, a new offense, Jamie Newman and the amount of times that he's going to be running the ball, not predicting an injury. Not saying that's going to happen. Wow. Not predicting that. Not predicting that. But that is the path for Carson Beck. That is the scenario in which he would wow. see the field. That's all I'm saying. Ken Seals and Max Wright, who are they? Oh, they're Vandy's new quarterback recruits, of course, yeah. as everybody knows. They brought in four quarterbacks, by the way. Two kids from JUCO as well, uh, because that's what you do when you lose three of your four quarterbacks. Number two, Harrison Bailey from Tennessee, guy that we just talked about as well, and the mystery at quarterback in and the top number one quarterback in the whole damn conference, Bryce Young at Alabama. Now, a lot of this is is based on on opportunity. Yes, skill level is part of it and, and and whatnot, but I'm not saying Bryce Young is going to be the week one starter per se. But I do think it's fair to say, based on what we've seen in the past from guys like Justin Fields, guys like Trevor Lawrence, uh, Jake Fromm, and Tua. These guys who really put so much pressure on the starter. I mean, so, so much pressure to where that leash is short. And I'm not saying Mac Jones is going to have one bad half and he's going to be out of a job. But Mac Jones is going to know, even if he's the week one starter, look, he's going to be there. He's going to be ready. And every single Alabama fan, the second Mac Jones messes up, is going to want Bryce Young to be the guy. Yeah, they already do, which is weird Uh, to me. And and this is something that I've given... Literally zero thought or paid zero attention to until maybe three weeks ago. No, for real, because because I hate it. I just hate it. And 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 I, t- I tell you what, the example that you're missing from that group about Justin Fields and and Tua and all that kind of stuff is Jalen Hurts because they literally opened with USC right, right. this season. And I know that that was that was different because you had a, a I think I think Barnett was a freshman. Uh, he's I think he still has. He was a redshirt freshman, he, maybe. He, yeah, he was a year older than him for sure. But like, um, you know, I I think that the stuff with Bryce Young. I, I, I want to give it zero thought because I just hate Bama fans in general, just the way we they attack everything and social media-wise. And, and, and I, I, I mean, I love Bama. We all know that. But, like, I, I hate the way, like, the, the Bama fans attack certain kids. And there's there's a legitimate camp. I wouldn't say they're legitimate or their thoughts are, but there's an actual camp of Bama fans that are like, we're going to be better without Tua. Heard it here, 71st. I, I, I said it. I put it on all the message boards. And you're like, yeah, well, yeah, I tell you what, that's a, you're a stupid person. So th- there's that. Um, I think with, with Bryce Young, what what makes me believe that, because I, I kind of put those people in the same boat as people that thought Bryce Young was going to start right away until I started really kind of like paying attention to it. And, and the fact that this kid is the national player of the year, the fact that he was in one of the toughest divisions in all of high school football, which just sounds weird, but it, it, it's a legitimate thing. Shout we'll out Luke Del Rio. about it. Um, the, you know, the numbers he's able to put up in, in that league, I think, are a little bit more impressive than I would give to most, you know, high school quarterback numbers. Um, the fact that he showed out at, you know, Elite 11 camps, the All-American week, he was the MVP of that game. And, and then and then at the end of the season gets vaulted to the number one player in the country on 24-7 and the number two overall player in the country in the composite rankings. He's the highest ranked recruit to come to Alabama since Julio Jones. And more than any of that, the fact that, that Nick, Nick Saban used a word to describe him that, that makes me think that he might start day one, which is weird to me. 
and that was love. <laughs> he said, I love this kid. And that's just not something you hear from Nick Saban a lot at all. And like, I'm not trying to be sappy or whatever or dramatic about it. It's just, you you tell me the last time, besides Tua, right? Like, you tell me the time you've heard Nick Saban refer to one of his quarterbacks this early on. Not like an AJ after he's leaving. Like, you know, like, I love that kid. You tell me when you've heard Nick Saban describe somebody like that. And that, that's that's what... I don't want to say worries me because that's probably the wrong way to put it, but it makes me think that Bryce Young might start. I, I still say I would put the Vandy kid first. Huh. Harrison Bailey could be, yeah. I mean, I, I think that the only thing holding me back is that I think that if Bryce Young were to have to, to redshirt, I think that that would upset a lot a lot of people, and I think if he didn't really get a fair chance, because I don't think he's going to be used like Justin Fields. I don't think that's the case no. at all. I think Steve Sarkeesian, that's the last thing on his mind. He's not going to use him as some run specialty yeah. gimmick guy. But, yeah, Harrison Bailey, if the hope is, hey, maybe we start Brian Maurer week one and we hope that we can just hold on to this redshirt for Harrison Bailey, yeah. it's a little bit different to do that when you're not as highly rated as somebody like Bryce Young. I will say, I, I, if I had to rank them, one, I wish JG would transfer out and go to Mississippi State and, and live up to the unfair hype that I put on him last year. <laughs> Why would he be able to do that at Mississippi State? Why would he be able to do that? He wouldn't at all. I'm just, I'm just saying he would be able to put up the numbers and I could at least argue for it, uh, even though I'd be wrong by <laughs> argument. Um Vandy, I had the Vandy kid at one, or kids, Ken Seals, which Ken Seals, by the way, that that sounds like no 18-year-old. That, that dude is 44 years old. He is neighbor Terry Wilson, but, he is. but that guy, like, yeah, that guy owns his own, like, laundromat service or something like that and, and definitely has a mustache and coaches uh, Little League Baseball on, on the weekends. Um, Max Wright, I think either one of those kids, or either one of those would be, like, the, the one I would put the highest possibility to start. Harrison Bailey. Bryce Young, Carson Beck, those three after him, I think they're all interchangeable, and I think all three of those guys will play in week one. Oh, I like that. Yeah. That's a good fire take. Yeah. Good fire take. We have more fire takes from our buddy, Tom Hart. He was gracious enough to join us. A little peel behind the onion here. I was hoping to have Tom on last week, but Tom actually, believe it or not, was really, really busy um, calling every sport that ESPN offers. So he had a couple of things on his plate, but it was great to be able to catch up with him. He talked to us about the XFL debut, some SEC basketball stuff, and um, uh, pretty much anything else you can possibly mention within the confines of a 25-minute interview Tom had on. So Croutons. Yeah, croutons as well. A lot of thoughts on croutons. Let's kick it to our interview with Tom Hart. We're now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is our BFF, Tom Hart. Basically, if you watched sports last week, you probably heard Tom. Uh, I remember when we were at the SEC championship game and we were talking about the XFL schedule that you had. You basically said to us, you're like, yeah, I sort of didn't dial back my SEC hoop schedule. Um, You need to tell our listeners what the last week was like for you. Oh, well, with all due respect to my friends at the major airline that makes its home in Atlanta, which I typically love, they played a prominent role in my most fun week of 2020. So I had um, a Monday departure for Arkansas. Andy Kennedy and I made waves, and he went viral Tuesday night for the Auburn-Arkansas game when he confused Ron Burgundy for Ron Jeremy. I don't know where his head was, but we can guess. And then um, we had an early morning scheduled flight to make it to Florida for the Georgia-Florida game on Wednesday that meant a 4 a.m. wake-up call. It was followed by a four-hour delay. So we finally Goodness. made it to Florida in time. And by we, I mean me and Andy, my suitcase didn't. So um, 
I was able to go cash Lululemon on the air Wednesday night, which is, by the way, a look that I'm currently negotiating in my next contract because I was down with it. Yes. And then Thursday morning was another 4 a.m. wake-up call to get out of Gainesville and get up to Bristol, Connecticut to host College Football Live. Um, I'd like to thank Mother Nature and the mechanics at the still-to-be-unnamed airline, which you all know what it is. 4 a.m. wake-up call, another four-hour delay. I actually missed my taping of College Football Live, but I got a really good nap in, so that's good. Then Friday, uh, I stuck around Bristol for College Football Live. I did some of the talk shows up there. Um, Flight Friday night to Dallas. Four-hour delays are really, really aggressive, so on this particular night, it was only a 90-minute delay. Get to my hotel room about 2 a.m., um early saturday morning in dallas and we had meetings all day saturday xfl sunday the battle hawks at renegades if you need to google that go for it and then uh be back on sec basketball tuesday night at lsu and then uh wednesday night and then west coast flight this coming friday to go to la for more xfl holy cow i got tired just listening to that i mean that's You've essentially covered three sports in what, like a four-day stretch there. Um, we know, though, specifically as it relates to the XFL, that you've been doing a ton of prep. And I imagine, though, at the same time, there's only so much you can do before your first experience in something. There, there are a lot of elements to this that are that are different than your typical football game that you'd be calling on SEC Network on Saturday nights, just with the way the coaches and players are mic'd up at the constant sideline interviews, all that stuff. What did you take away from your first experience doing that? Well, the the hardest part that nobody wants to hear this. We're not digging ditches, but just for background information, the hardest part is efficiently putting together the information on these players because their backgrounds are so varied. Some guys played in the NFL for four or five years. Some guys bounced around the AAF and Canada and Arena and Arena Two even. And so, just compiling all of that information, the SIDs and the SCC are awesome at what they do, and they have the benefit of decades of record keeping and storylines and personnel. All of that is brand new to the folks in the XFL. So, that's just a uh, time consuming process to get the information on individual players that you think is going to be interesting to the viewing audience. What was. Um, but it was a whole different level of preparation, and kudos to the coaches at both teams this uh, first weekend. And listen, how Mummy has no secrets. If you want to learn how to run the air raid, you can buy the book online for twenty four ninety nine with a VHS and probably a T-shirt, too. Um, <laughs> and Bob Stoops was great, and the St. Louis guys were great, too. But it, it was about, like, listen, we're going to eavesdrop on your play calls can you give us an idea of what these play calls are going to mean? Or at least let's go through some of your basic calls. So when we hear them repetitively, we can reference them and we can translate them for the viewing audience. So that's something like, for example, we've tried to ask, I've tried to ask SEC guys in the past. Um, you know, when Jake Fromm was, would talk about the complexities of the offense and the play calling, it'd be like, well, Hey man, give me a, Give me a random play call. And he'd go through a, a nine-word call, and not like we would ever know when that play was coming during the course of the game. In these scenarios, we hear them. We know they're coming. 
We know Iowa means inside zone for St. Louis, and now we know we're watching for a handoff, and they're going to run some inside zone. So that was really cool, but a whole different level um, of focus when it came to the preparation. All right, my turn. Hello, Thomas. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> um, okay, so kind of piggybacking off that, there's, a, there's obviously a lot of differences between what many would consider, I think, quote-unquote, like traditional football and the XFL. What so far has been your favorite difference, and why is it the gambling lines being broadcast? Um, my favorite difference, well, I think my favorite difference is going to be the kickoff rule. We didn't see um, any big returns this weekend, small sample size, only four games. But to give you an example, there were 35 XFL kickoffs week one. There were only six touchbacks. And peeling back the curtain, at least one of those, uh, I think it was two touchbacks we had in our game because Oliver Luck changed the kickoff line right before kickoff, which is fascinating. But he's the commissioner. He's allowed to do, and they have that built into the rules. It's not like he just showed up at the stadium and was like, hey, you know what, I think we're going to move the kickoff line. But if there is any sort of extreme wind, they want as many returns as possible. They don't want touchbacks. So they're going to... You know, they can move the line from the 30 to the 35 or vice versa, depending on what will get the most. Okay, so we had six on 35, six touchbacks and 35 kickoffs, um, as opposed to the NFL this last year, um, I think 60%. Um, let me see, I got the numbers in front of me. Last year in the NFL, there were 2,603 kickoffs. There are 1,585 touchbacks. So 61% of the time on an NFL kickoff, there is nothing happening. And you only have 0.2% chance of a return. Um, I'm probably of a score, 0.2%. So 61%, the ball is in the air. We've come back from commercial. We're waiting for them to get lined up. We show the kicker. We show the return guy. And then nothing happens. So... That, I think, is going to be my favorite because there's going to be action on all of that. I didn't realize that. That was a lot of numbers for us, Tom. A little, couple couple too many numbers. That's that's a lot of math Here's, for us, here's so more numbers. Right. 867, if you, know, if you consider the 8675309, that's my number, Jenny, don't lose it. Like, that's just another number to throw out there. It's actually seven Connor, digits. he's just saying things. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's a song from the, from the 80s. I, I could I think, be wrong. I've heard, I've heard rumors of that. So I've got, I've got a theory that I need to run past you. Um, when they came up with the matchups for the opener, the XFL powers that be said, oh, we need to make sure that Tom Hart is calling whatever game that Jordan Tamu is in because he's the only one with, experiencing, with, uh, with actual experience pronouncing his last name. Confirm or deny my theory. You know, Oliver Luck has a lot of power in this league. Uh, as does his body. That's a con- that's a confirmation. Yes, yeah. They wanted they wanted me calling a game with two egg bowl quarterbacks in the same team to see if we could get yep. a reference to a fake dog pee. <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect. Um Tom, I mean in our brief limited time as being internet friends, you know that I'm not great at decisions. Um what XFL team should I adopt as my favorite team and why? Oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, I'm kind of a fan of the New York Guardians 
and, and I know okay. it's not necessarily in your backyard, but Matt McGloin um, scored the first touchdown in Guardians history, and he chucked the ball into the stands. And I'm thinking mm-hmm. to myself, that's a quarterback that just doesn't care. You know, like he's not worried about saving this ball for posterity's sake or taking home a keepsake. No, 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 no. No, I'm going to sling it to the dude who's, you know, sitting in the 20th row here at MetLife. I thought that was really cool. I don't know if you saw the postgame celebration in the St. Louis locker room, but like seltzer is the official drink of the XFL, apparently. Yeah, so the, the... the temerity with which the St. Louis players were willing to slam a carbonated beverage, uh, that was eye-opening to me. I think there's some potential there. I've, I've been a closet Battlehawks fan for most of my life, I'll be honest. I'll be honest with you. I'll just say it. Yeah, I mean, the, a team that shotguns Seltzer, I think, is is pretty much... that that they They made fans out of a lot of... Very neutral observers over the weekend. I think we can say that with with certainty. Speaking of alcohol, you go from having Cole Kubelik as your sideline reporter to Pat McAfee. Um, I imagine that's like going from drinking a Guinness to drinking a Four Loco. It's a great comparison. And actually, neither guy drinks. Can you believe that? Very very odd. Yeah. Just, Just there's your nugget of the day. Um Pat has this incredible bundle of energy. He is amazing. He's talking to Bob Stoops about his quarterback being an underwear model. He's uh, nearly got Troy Aikman killed on the sideline when a play came their way. Um, I, don't, I'm, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the radio show Bob and Tom. Oh, yeah. In India. Yeah, BWWRUN Beer Run. So I see Bob Stoops at practice, and I'm talking to him, and he, he's looking around. He's like, are you with Joey? Where's, hey, where's Pat? I used to do a radio show with Pat every Tuesday when he was with the Colts. And Bob Stoops used to go on Pat McAfee on Bob and Tom like once a week, which was amazing to me. <laughs> um, I just found that whole aspect fascinating. Um, I saw that you I, – I love that you're still actively campaigning for mayoral votes in Kentucky – by bringing up BBN pretty much whenever you get the chance on an XFL broadcast. Like they had uh, the Kentucky former Kentucky kicker I saw was in that game. Um, how would you say that you're polling in the state of Kentucky right now? Oh, uh, we don't need a caucus for this. Like if, if we had a caucus, everybody <laughs> would be in my corner of Language. the gym. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would dominate any caucus or primary and I would I would slam the election. I mean I, I met Austin McGinnis at their practice on Friday and the first thing that came up was his podcast that he does during the college football season and I said listen this is this, we're going to find a way to get this on air and by find a way it doesn't mean that there's going to be some sort of nuanced reference to it that only he and his buddies would get. <laughs> now this is going to be a just a straight shout out prior to a field goal opportunity and i i have no shame i'm willing to do that you are the the guy who you by the way you definitely had another 69 call um i think that was like a week and a half ago i, I can't remember what it was during an sec basketball game and i was like that was the ron jeremy game 
Yeah, that was oh, a that's right. That's right. Yeah, shocking. And so <laughs> it was tied at 69 all at the end of regulation. It was, and as I said, we're tied at 69. Nice. Andy Kennedy goes. It all comes full circle, doesn't it? Beautiful. Everyone is trying to figure out right now kind of what what exactly it's going to take for the XFL to succeed. In your opinion, having kind of seen the inner workings of this whole deal, what's going to determine the future of this league? I'm obviously biased. This is, you know, I know more about the television side of things than do the football operations or the local marketing or anything like that. Although, uh, from all indications, it's going very well but i just i think tv coverage is everything um you've got two major media companies the games aren't being relegated to a streaming platform they're not way up in your cable channels where you have to go find them i would venture to guess um if you walked into any sports bar this weekend the xfl games were on not necessarily because people were demanding them but because those are the channels espn abc fox FS1, those are the channels that are already on in sports bars. Those are the channels, if you're guys like me and you, that are already on in our house. Um, those are the channels that are on, you know, in, in offices that have televisions throughout the country. So to gather the casual sports fan in the time of year where there's a vacancy there, and, and you know I'm a huge college basketball fan and I, I wanted to succeed, but I do think that that can be very niche until we get to the tournament. Um, there's there's an appetite out there. And the whole reason Vince McMahon decided to invest billions into this league is because the market research said, listen, there's 80 million pro football fans out there in this country, and 40 million of them are diehards, and they said that they would watch a spring league. Now, whether or not that occurs and they stick with it through the end remains to be seen. But I've been really impressed with the, you know, the media attention throughout this weekend. And I know that there was a lot of ignorance out there, too, as to when this league was actually starting. You know, people weren't aware until they saw it on their TV, I think, a good portion of the population. So that should mean a lot going forward. And I think that's that's going to be the key. Will, will people relate to this league? Um, will they're going to be given opportunities to because the league will get the exposure that's necessary. Switching gears a little bit, without anything related to Ron Jeremy, give us your uh, give us your hottest SEC hoops take right now. Uh, my hottest SEC hoops take. I've got a couple for you. Um, I think Mississippi State is a Final Four caliber team. Ooh. That's a hot take because, from a record standpoint, you say, Tom, what did, did you take all of? Cole and Pat's beers this weekend and just take them for yourself because Mississippi State is 15-8. and eight. Um, They lost to an average, if not bad, Oklahoma team. They lost to Louisiana Tech. They lost to New Mexico State. Um, but they've got all the pieces. I mean, they're as balanced as a team with Reggie Perry and Tyson Carter and Nick Weatherspoon and Robert Woodard. Um, they've got talent on that team and they've got different ways to score their top 20 offensive team when it comes to efficiency um they play a pretty slow tempo um they value possessions they offensive rebound when they do miss shots um i just think they have a real opportunity there um and and they'll have opportunities in their schedule 
coming up over the back half of the season. All right, that's pretty much all I have for serious questions. Uh, let's get to the real nitty-gritty stuff here. Wait, wait, I, those were serious? Bro- I was supposed to be serious for those? The whole time, Tom. We've been <laughs> over this. We, every time. Uh, um, so I, I bought script, Girl Scout I cookies. <laughs> Perfect. Um, I bought Girl Scout cookies from your fam. And um, I need to know right now, what's the best Girl Scout cookie and why? Thin Mint, without a doubt, and here's why. Thin mints can be enjoyed by all ages, right? When I was younger, I would enjoy thin mint and the rare opportunity that um, my family would purchase Girl Scout cookies, because let's be honest, they cost like $29 a box. Um, thin mints were the only cookie of its kind. Somehow they, they let it slip, and now Oreos have a thin whatever. It's not the same. Um, but I could devour an entire sleep with a glass of milk. Now that I'm an adult at the end of the night, maybe after a nice meal, I'm sitting down watching games late at night, I can devour an entire sleeve of Thin Mints with a nice glass of wine. So it goes either way. You get the chocolate and the crisp. They're good in the freezer. They're good out of the freezer. Nothing else comes close. I will say um, the fact that you can buy Girl Scout cookies online now is, is like that's such an incredible tool but also a detriment to me trying to lose weight for this wedding because um, I had no idea you could do that. It's so convenient now. It, uh, you bring up a great point, and it brings up another question. I, I, I'm not really familiar with guys trying to lose weight for their wedding, although I'm sure you'll look beautiful <laughs> in the dress. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, next question here. We have a lot of listeners out here, Tom, that need your help, and I can tell already when you're throwing out just casual dining expertise like Thin Mints and wine, you, you are a, a, a savant when it comes to this topic. we got a lot of guys out here listen, looking for last-minute Valentine's Day advice. Give us your best Valentine's Day advice, wrong answers only. Oh, wrong answers only. This is great. Um First of all, as a guy, you need to understand that the marketing push in this country that invented holidays like Mother's Day and Valentine's Day and anything else, they invented this for you, okay, not yep. for anybody else. So just understand that Valentine's Day is for the guy. It's the perfect night to say to your special someone, I'm going to get out of the house and go watch a game with the fellas. <laughs> it's a no-brainer. I'm going to give you your space. We're going to go to Hooters. I'm going to drink like four pitchers of beer. And you don't have to worry about me until midnight or one or two, whatever. You just tell me when you want me to be home. That's that's my best Valentine's Day advice. Just understand that the promotional machine in this country, they invented this for you. Yes, true. You know, the only thing you're missing from that is um, obviously buying heart-shaped jewelry as a gift. And, uh, and, you know, and then also telling your significant other that, to smile more. Because that's something I know I can speak Ooh. from, uh, from, you know, women love it. So let's get you out of here with, uh, God, just another profound conversation. I feel like I say that every time we, uh, we get together here on the SDS pod. But we're going to get you out of here on two-minute drill. It's a rapid-fire uh, question game where you just say the first thing that pops in your head, which you're the perfect person to play this with. Um, usually we only have ten questions, but... Uh, my fiance Allie wanted to add a, a couple more, and plus, since you're so great at thinking uh, on your feet, we, we threw in 13 total. So, are you are you ready to go? Are you geared up in the Lululemon? Are you ready for game time? 
Yeah, yeah, I have nothing going on this entire afternoon, so I'd love to spend it with you guys. Good luck, go. Okay. <laughs> All right. First question: What's your favorite Celine Dion song? I don't have one. That's unbelievable. Second question: That's a lot of points to take it off. Worst city to be arrested in? Matamoros, Mexico. Okay. All right. So that was a lot of confidence. Uh, the NFL Combine is coming up. If someone were to describe you using only Combine cliches, what would it be? <laughs> um, combine cliches. Um, stiff in the hips. Um, receding. And, um, <laughs> and, and uh, lives for the game. Okay. Yeah, heard that, that sister. Stiff in the hips. That's good. Uh, if you could make a new Four loco flavor yourself, what would it be? Thin mint. Okay. I like that. Um, it's it's an election year, so what is Tom Hart's 2020 campaign slogan? <laughs> um, well, I'm trying to decide on a running mate, and it, I've got it. I'm boiling down. I'm only going to accept Ron. So it could be Burgundy, it could be Jeremy, it could be Artest. Um, we haven't decided yet. There's a lot, there's a lot of different categories here. Uh, I don't know which of my bosses are going to listen to this, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with my second best, <laughs> my second best campaign slogan, because um, <laughs> I can't say the one that I really want to say. Um, okay. It, it, you gotta have heart. That's good. Mm, yeah. That's good. I can't wait to hear off air the uh, the other one, um, number one. Uh, okay, so let's say that the good people at Delta fly you to a dream va- uh, vacation spot. Where are you headed? Oh, I love Delta Airlines. They are absolutely my favorite. <laughs> They've been so helpful. Best. They even found my luggage for me this week, which was super nice of them. That's um, nice. We're yeah. going to fly from Atlanta to Columbus, Georgia. Oh, Beautiful. I tell you what, go there in July. There are few places as beautiful as Columbus, Georgia in July. Um, favorite Atlanta restaurant? Go. Well, Jersey Mike's. They can make a sandwich, and you can put whatever you want on that sandwich. I, I like a Mike's way without the tomatoes. And um, if I'm really feeling, you know, if it's a cold weather football weekend, and now the XFL, we have 10 more of those, then I, I might get a, a hot one. It might go chicken Philly. Ooh, we're looking hey, literally for anything, anything besides Blimpy. That's all we were looking for there. So that's that, that <laughs> place. Um, <laughs> best off-season binge-watching recommendation. Best off-season binge-watching recommendation. Um, I don't have an off-season, so it's really hard it's for me to point. answer. But um, I would go with Ozark. And I'm Ooh, trying to get back okay. into it. I was late. I was all in season one and season two, and then barely got into season three. But I'm wait. There's get a season three. Is there not? Is there only two so far? I think. I think they're. I thought they were only making season three. Season one was fantastic. Season two was tough. Season, I mean, that was that was a tough one. Um, okay, hold on. We got we got we got four more here. We'll go through them quick. Go to Starbucks order since you never sleep. Grande skinny vanilla latte. That is also okay. That's that's good. Um, said it with conviction there. This is from Allie. What are your feelings about croutons? That's a real question. Croutons or coupons? Uh, you know, well, either or, but we go with croutons for the sake. 
Well, if I had coupons for croutons, I would have a pantry full of stale bread. I am a fan of croutons. I believe in them wholeheartedly. The, the, the taste of a great salad can be complemented by only a couple of things. Number one, the crispness and the color of the lettuce. The darker, the better. And a quality, quality stale bread chip. It's beautiful. God, that's poetry. Oh, so well, awesome. This is the last question then, because I don't even know how you top that. Um, best wedding advice you can give, wrong answers only. Best wedding advice you can give. Um, just make sure that everybody understands that as the husband, as the, as the groom, this is your night. It's special for you. Um, you're going to remember everything about this night, including how the guests feel. So just make it all about you and the guests. And if they need something additional, like especially post-ceremony, go, go do it for them. Like th- there's nothing that can make your wedding better than to make sure that the mother-in-law is perfectly happy. That's all that matters. I love it. Let me add this up. Um, oh, man. We, we got a new high score here, Connor. That is 690 points. Wow. Oh. Real nice. Mm-hmm. I'm waiting for I it. I see what you did there. I see what you did there. See where we you put set you up perfectly. Through. Yeah. 69.0. Um, that's okay. That's okay. Um, Tom, appreciate it as always. Um, I, I don't know what else to say about your, your life right now other than get as much sleep as possible. Yeah. Um, tall vanilla lattes galore. And um, maybe maybe mix in a couple Four Locos every once in a while. Steal, steal them from McAfee and, and Cole, and I think you'll uh, you'll be able to get through this, this grind of a schedule you're working with right now. Next time we're together, um, whether that is via podcast and telephone or in person, I want to spend some time discussing with you gentlemen um, the intricacies and the value of a weighted blanket because Ooh. those are key. Those are key for nap time these days. Love it. Oh, man. That's a, Can't that's wait. A, wow. Um, all right. Well, we will, we will do that very, very soon. Tom, appreciate it. Best of luck with everything XFL, SEC hoops, and any other random sport you want to call. Thanks, gentlemen. I'll see you for the Tiddlywinks Regional Championships on ESPN 12. <laughs> Let's Goodbye, go. Thomas. Thanks. See you, man. So, Marler, fun little story for you. Last week, I am realizing at, I am at the end of my last bottle of Texas Pete. I'm getting close. It's going to be borderline if I can make it another week. The way I like to usually do shopping, I yeah. like to be able to get it all kind of at once, not make a bunch of midweek trips, whatnot. I made sure that I bought that bottle of Texas Pete ahead of time because the idea of having an empty bottle of Texas Pete and no replacement terrified me and my wife criticized me for it but i was like you know what better safe than sorry just make sure we got that texas pete in the pantry and we're good to go yeah i tell you what guys and valentine's day is coming up Mm. and i know you guys have heard me talk about just how just the overwhelming amount of uh i guess um association i put with my love for texas pete and you know you can love a lot of things and and loving a hot sauce is is one of those things that i don't think should be frowned upon this day and age 2020 okay 
we're not going to get into it too much. But yeah, I love Texas Pete. If I wasn't marrying Allie, I'd probably marry that bottle of Texas Pete. This Valentine's Day season, get your wife or significant other the gift that really matters. And that is not heart-shaped jewelry, which women love. Uh, mm-hmm. It is oh, a yeah. bouquet of, of Texas Pete. Just an absolute, you know, I'm not saying you have to get 12 roses because that is expensive and outrageous. And you know what? Those die. You know what doesn't die? Flavor. So get yourself a couple bottles of Texas Pete. Put them in a little bouquet of whatever. And what's your wife going to say when she pulls out like, oh, a mini bottle? Like a little, like you can have like, you know, like airplane bottles, but without liquor, obviously, which is with flavor. Mm-hmm. Um, you have the big bottle of the wing sauce, which is, I cannot recommend enough. Throw in some Texas Pete dust for a little late night, guys. That's all I'm going to say. There you go. Texas Pete, make sure you are sending us all of your favorite recipes that you are using. Maybe you're making dinner for your wife this uh, this Valentine's Day or your husband or whatever else. Um Make sure you are using Texas Pete to add some flavor, not only to the Valentine's Day or your food, but to your love life as well. To all aspects of life, add some flavor. Yeah. Um, let's add some flavor to this podcast, uh, which is going to mean fourth and wrong, guys. We've got a very special um, edition of fourth and wrong because we had a family member. Oh, yeah. Intro. Uh, that's that's going to be the first question of how we're going to intro fourth and wrong. And she, um, Connor's aunt has the first question uh, of fourth and wrong. I'll let you take it away. So my aunt Megan, uh, shout out Megan, Megan Byrne Kruger, I think is she is uh, known on Facebook. She's the youngest of my mom's eleven siblings. So not the aunt that had the conception story or anything like that. Thank Definitely God. different, different aunt. Yeah, we would not have would not put her in the fourth and row. We would not have done that. And not the aunt who also had the separate comment about um, just loving the Facebook group and being a part of it and wanting to be active in it despite the fact that yeah. she knows nothing about ICC football. This is actually a different aunt, if you can believe it. I have a lot of aunts. Um, so my Aunt Megan threw out the question in fourth and wrong um, and basically said, best Big Ten basketball moment this weekend, dot, 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 the return of Coach Knight. Now, my aunt is an Indiana grad like like me, um, and she threw this idea out there, and Marla responded right up our alley. And I thought Marla was being a little bit on the salty side, a little bit a little bit sarcastic that he was throwing. Wait, what did I do? I thought you were being a little bit sarcastic when you said right up our alley in response to that question. Oh, no, I was just blatantly saying that's not right up our alley. Yeah, I guess I was sarcastic because we don't do basketball stuff from the Big Ten at all. But, yeah, it was my bad. Okay. So, yeah, I can answer that question for you. Um, there you go. I had a lot of mixed emotions watching Bob Knight come back because he was not there while I was there. I was a right. student. I graduated in 2012. Bob Knight, you know, his last days at IU were back in the early 2000s. So I, I was not a part of that. But I did sort of, you know, have the minority of the opinion, the minority opinion watching this moment where Bob Knight finally returns to Assembly Hall for the first time since he was fired yeah. 20 years ago. And everybody's just giving him this overwhelming ovation. Crying. Yeah, I mean, there Fake are people... Steel. Yeah, it, it was it was much. It was very, it was much. Dickie V in the house, all that stuff, and people are just doing whatever they like. Just oh my gosh, just what a moment! Incredible. So so glad we could see this this forgiveness. Bob Knight never apologized for the Not fact once. that he basically bashed university and ditched university for twenty years because yeah. he was mad that he was fired because. They, they fired him because after he choked a kid, he violated the zero tolerance policy by grabbing another kid on campus. And Bob Knight was frustrated. That's just what we know it was reported. Yeah, exactly. Bob Knight was frustrated that Indiana would ever fire him because he thought he was above the law and he thought he was God, which you could make the argument in the state of Indiana he was for a very long period of yeah. time when he won that many national titles. But the fact that he, came, he spent 20 years just ripping IU and said he hoped that everybody who fired him would die. 
Like, literally, that's what he said on the Dan Patrick show. He said that out. Like, that was an actual quote. Like, real quote. Actually said this. And then he comes back to Indiana and in this shape where it looks like he's... I'm not going to predict anything, but that looked, looked yeah, like a terrible. It looked like a last go around. It looked like that's I think that's why they brought him on. Yeah, and it looks like he's he's near the end. Uh, he looked way different than he did when he was on the air with ESPN five years ago, and never heard him come back and say, you know what, I was wrong. I shouldn't have banished the university for 20 years and and created this this into, like this massive divide when I was just being you know prideful and I, my ego was too big. I, didn't, I wasn't crazy about it, to be, to be that's my long way yeah. of saying that. I, I did not necessarily like the fact that Indiana fans were just like, oh my gosh, unbelievable. I, I'm so happy that Bob Knight is back, and what a great guy, and this is so awesome to see. Apologize first, and then maybe we'll talk. Yeah, you know, first off, I do want to say to, I thought it was Meg, not Meeg. Megan, yeah. Um, Meeg, Megan. Um, one, I loved her story that she shared. I thought that was really cool. That she got to interview him for the student newspaper, which was like that's a thing that like way back just in the, day, the yeah. short the, the very little everything I know about Bob Knight, like in depth wise, I I learned from that documentary and that I've heard from Connor and and it's it's one of these things where, you know, I said I said this after the Kobe thing, which is this I said this on Twitter about how like people have a tendency when times like this where they they had a a mis they misconstrue the situation where it's like hey. Reach out to somebody you haven't talked to in a while and let them know you love them. And I think that's all well and good, but you do that for people that aren't toxic people in your life. And and I think what what Bob what Bob Knight did at Indiana, he, there were so many parts of it that were toxic. And what bothers me more than anything is the apology because it's like, dude, I do th- I did everything I saw makes me believe he's on he's near the last last yeah you know stretch of his life and and that's sad because i think he's a coaching legend and he's a, and he's a college sports legend but the fact that he's still so prideful and that was what like kind of that's what his whole downfall was was being so prideful and it's sad to watch but it's like let's call it what it is man like you don't get to go treat people like this you just don't and and i don't want to pile on meigs uh her the person she gets to interview at all but i just think that if you couldn't if you couldn't be um remorseful then then i don't it, it bothers me that you you still can't do it now 20 years later after you were fired and and like you said these are the things that he actually said about like i hope they die yeah. i will speak to them until Who they do that die. and it's like like jesus christ man that's so much and, and what bothers me more than anything about this is him saying all of that the university has still gone out of its way to try to include him in yeah stuff. absolutely and, and they try to do stuff where they brought him in to where it's like 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 what this really bothers me for and what was the reason he was there what were they honoring? It was the Purdue team. They were honoring the 1980 National Championship uh, team with Isaiah Thomas on it. That was actually the team right. that my aunt was there, and she covered that right. team while she was, yeah, at school. Okay, and so what bothers me about this is the last time they tried to do this, and from what I what I remember, that 1976 team, which is one of the greatest basketball teams in college basketball history, he wasn't and didn't want to be yep. a part of them being recognized. And that's what pisses me off, because it's like, dude... You know, I can't foresee Saban ever being this much of an a-hole. I don't think there's um, a football just, comp to it. I, there's I really not. Don't. It's kind of weird. It would have been like... Bo Schimbeckler, maybe? Not Schimbeckler. Woody, Woody Hayes. Woody Hayes, maybe. Yeah. Um, it it would have sort, sort of been like if Joe Paterno had lived another 20 years and seeing what that relationship would have been like. But then Paterno State. also had, went out of his way to be like, oh, you guys, this wasn't my fault. This was the university's fault. And, you, and then was blaming them and then outward, being like just openly because some of these stories were gross like the thing the bathroom thing where he literally wiped his 
you know what? And then brought out like a piece of toilet paper. And was like, this is what you are. It's like, dude, like I, I had, I had a, 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 a coach from the north when I would play baseball in college, who was he was rough around the edges and said things that I had never heard of in my entire life until the, until he was my coach, and it made me a better player. This was not that. No. This was stuff that was just on the edge of human indecency. Bob Knight was a different breed of human, we can say that. And it was, yeah, very, very mixed emotions watching all of this play out um, as an Indiana grad, watching this and watching the way that people just sort of celebrate him yeah. and forget the fact that this is somebody who was just not the best human being. Let's just, let's just. He would out. never be invited onto the friendly confines of Williams Birch <laughs> Stadium at my house. Let's move on. Let's move on to something even more serious. Uh, Second question from Sean O'Brien. Do you judge people on whether they use Apple or Android, whether it's on purpose or inadvertently? On purpose. Is that bad? Um, if somebody no, no. tells me that they use an Android, it's almost always because they have some sort of anti-Apple stance and they need yeah, to let you know weird. about it eventually. Yeah. Then it turns into a weird conversation <laughs> that I don't want to have because You're I'm not one of those vegan. people. Cool, dude. Yeah, like I have a Mac, I have an iPhone, but I'm not somebody who's like, you know, wearing an Apple t-shirt or something like that. Like right. I don't care enough to know about your stance, why you don't use Apple. So the fact that you're using an Android and then telling me about it is what annoys me more than anything. So yes, I do judge yeah. a little bit. Um, I actually wrote a joke about this one time when I was like, <laughs> like 2014, 2015, and it was not suitable for... Uh, work obviously but it was just basically saying how like yeah like there's a lot of things that I will make excuses for for dating a girl but if if I send her a text and those little bubbles pop up or they don't pop up and then they, they I get I get green text back like yeah we're done I'm sorry like I just can't like I mean come on grow up um I will say I used to I used to make that joke and then my, my best friend Jeff flat out told me he was like He's like, well, you're stupid, and uh, most people that have those that like the reason why is because on Androids, it's a lot easier to um, like modify and make your own and do all these other different cool things that people. It's like so, but I feel like there's a different there's a different group of people that have an Android because they use it and they modified it to like stuff they can do with their own phone versus because he works in tech, so a lot of the guys that he works with like they all have the green the green text that pops up because they're smarter than me but the people that do it just because they have some like yeah thinly veiled dumbass response about like why they don't like apple like yeah, yeah i don't have time for that i don't have time for that life's too short yeah. man i don't care i gotta watch cheer on netflix again <laughs> we can't have this conversation uh shout out cameron camp who's somebody uh who's one of our pod mods who definitely has a <laughs> definitely has an android love him to death though um third question this is good this is from reed kosan there are approximately 200 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy. There are approximately 20 billion Earth-like planets orbiting those stars. Do you think there is life on other planets? Not in its current form. Not, not in a way that we would be able to understand in a traditional sense. But life on other planets? Yeah, I'm on board with that. How could there not be? Such a There's... big, big galaxy. How could there not be other life? And I know that we've put a lot of money into being able to find that other life. <laughs> Some of which, some of a lot of which has been unsuccessful. Yeah. But I mean, I tend to think that we're not just the first people who have sort of figured it out down here. Yeah. Right. No, there's definitely aliens, like a thousand percent. I don't care how that sounds. People get upset all you want, uh, and I'll tell you this right now. I learned this last night. I've been. Um, I help out with this charity this this around this time every year for neurofibromatosis uh, called uh, Cupid's Charity, the Cupid Undie Run. And um, shout out to them. There's uh, this Saturday. If you're in Atlanta this Saturday, 
sign up for the Cupid Undie Run. You can use Marler Free as a as your promo code um, and get a discount on it. And basically, it's like it's a 0.8 mile run and then a four hour party. It's a lot of fun. But the reason I bring that up is because the week of the event, they always kick it off by doing this fundraiser for trivia, which I hosted last night. And I learned this, Connor. Aliens you know were there. That oh, never mind. Aliens were a thousand percent there. Um, in 2024, NASA is trying to put together through this, I think it was this, like the Artemis program or, or something. Um, for 2024, they're trying to set a goal for themselves to, you know what? Do you know what they're trying to do? Find other life? Land on the moon. So for all of you out there that told me I was stupid for saying that we didn't land on the moon, you tell me why, I don't know, 55 years later, we're all of a sudden trying to go land on the moon. Huh? You don't go back and do stuff you've already done. You don't watch Ozark 1 again. No, you watch Ozark 2. You, you literally move on, just guys. said five minutes ago you're going to watch Cheer again. Yeah, well, that's a good point. But regardless, you don't like... Yeah, and I watch Office re- re- retakes all the time. That was my best example. But regardless, there's no way we land on the moon yet. I think there's definitely aliens, and I think that we haven't landed on the moon. Whoa. Moving on. We definitely lost at least one listener from Arkansas. Yep. Um, best tips for long international flights and economy. That comes from Jesse Foley. Couple things. Seat selection Don't is do very, very important. I had a middle seat home from Dubai. Oh yeah. That's a 16-hour flight. It was rough. It was really, really rough. And I was just doing podcasts and stuff, like listening to podcasts. I listened to, I think, the second season of Serial, which was one of the more disappointing things I've ever experienced in my life. Um, (laughs) Shout out to anybody who's listened to that. It knows exactly what I'm talking about. Why does the second season of Everything Always Suck? Friday Night Lights. um, Serial. That thing that you mentioned before. Second season. Ozark. Cheer. Ozark. Second season. Always. um, Last Chance You. Dude, what's the what's the thing from Parks and Rec? Everyone, everyone that's ever told me about Parks and Rec, they're like, you got to make it through the first two seasons. Like, you know what? Most TV shows don't make it through the first two seasons if they suck. Like, don't tell me I got to wait around for that. Have you never watched Parks and Rec? No, I've, I've watched it, but I haven't <sighs> watched it like like The Office because it's like you can't tell me that two full seasons to start the show suck. It's and then like, oh, you just wait and then get into it after that. Like, I'm gonna go watch Brooklyn Nine Nine. They're, they're all under the same umbrella. Brooklyn Nine-Nine is yeah. the next one that I need to be able to binge watch. What was the question again? Oh, yeah, best tips for long international flights in economy. Um, I would say for a long international flight, it is worth it is worth it to get on the nicer airline, I think. Yeah. Um, we flew Emirates home, and we were just you know a couple of mid-20-somethings going on yeah. on our honeymoon, but it was, it was worth it just from the seat comfortability standpoint was top-notch, and you actually you know get decent meals and whatnot but um i would say seat location is the number one most important thing have a plan just make sure that you you have a plan try and make sure going in that you have every single hour accounted for like if you have a a 13 hour flight make sure you got 15 hours worth of entertainment whether that's movies or podcasts or dvd like whatever it is make sure that you in every scenario you're like i'm not going to run out here i'm not going to have like a two-hour window where i just have nothing going on and nothing to do because that's when you go crazy yeah i so i I, i'm like genuinely looking forward to um uh i love long flights yeah you said that last week too you're psycho I, i do 
I will take I will take my focus medicine and I will sit down and pump out work for literally however long the flight is. And I and it's just it's like it's like the, there's no distractions. There can't because there, there there can't be any distractions. So it's like perfect for me. I love getting in work mode on long flights. I will say um, I, I'm trying like so. I don't know how to say this without sounding like pretentious and like you guys know me well enough to know that I'm white trash, but my fiance isn't. And when we're talking about planning like a, our honeymoon, the stuff like going to Bali and a couple other places, basically we're gonna go to wherever we can also afford first class tickets because mm. if sitting in the sitting coach in in a middle seat especially, there's just I, I couldn't do it for that long. I'm too big, I'm too sweaty, I'm, I get too claustrophobic i will freak the f out so I, like your answer to this question best tips for long international flights and economy is simply don't do it get richer <laughs> yeah that's not for real yeah get rich or or, or fly trying you're really that's proud good. of that one. i loved it really we'll end on one. that we'll I'll, end. I'll end on that yeah all there right. you go let's go to it might mean too much this happened signing day um this was Eli Drinkwitz's welcome to the SEC moment. Never you make fun of this. I'm going to punch you through the phone. No, 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 no. Okay. Never in the history of signing day has a three-star recruit gotten this type of recorded excitement from a head awesome. coach. From a head coach. R- recorded excitement. I- I'm sure there yeah. have been other coaches who have been more excited. But by now, you've probably all seen the video of the new Mizzou coach freaking out when he learned that Texas cornerback Ennis Rakeshaw chose Mizzou over Bama and Texas. He initially picked up the Texas hat, I think, too. Um, So the emotion on his face when you're watching this video, it sort of progresses in a way that is just tough to see coming. And and all of a sudden you're just like, oh, he's on one right now. There there is no – you couldn't – you could tell him his mom died, and I think he'd still be so fired up in this moment. Like, seriously, he blacks out from excitement. He yeah. he's going through all the different what? offices. Let's go! I mean, shouldering shouldering doors open. Every like doesn't matter. Nothing is getting in his way. This yeah. was his big victory. Even Lane Kiffin shared it and said it was awesome. Yeah. It was that cool of a moment. The emotion Still threw some shade, but yeah. I don't I don't think it was shade. I think it was actually Lane. I like that me. sweater too. It's a good look. I was like, yeah, the mustard <laughs> the mustard yellow sweater. I bet you did, Lane. This is uh. This is a welcome to the SEC moment. This is a sign. If you're a Mizzou fan, if you're wondering, you know, and I think he closes class really well, actually. Shout out to both, yeah. to both, by the way, Eli Drinkwitz and Sam Pittman for the way that they Sam close Pittman, their class. Baby. Sam Pittman, my God. The heavy lifting he did down the stretch to end up with a Sick. top 30 class is unbelievable. These two guys, though, who did a lot of work in the last month, and I think seeing that moment was a little bit of a peel behind the onion. Is it to say, this matters a lot. And win- winning battles yeah. like that is going to be kind of what determines his future at Mizzou. So I, I, I want to say this because we didn't have a show. I just realized we didn't have a show after after post-signing day. Biggest takeaways from signing day that I want to give shout-outs to, because we expect Georgia. Shout-out to Georgia, first off, for closing with the number one class. That was awesome. Um, the fact they were able to close with that. I, I hate the narrative that we try to post about on, on SDS. And the narrative that comes out of me is like, oh, yeah, what, what have they done with it? Or like, whatever about national championships. These kind of recruiting classes are making a big difference. And you can say whatever about Mark Richt and what he did a long time ago. This is different. I think what, what Kirby's able to build and the people he's bringing in. Um, shout out that also makes the fact that, that in the last decade, the SEC finished with the number one ranked class in the country eight out of ten times. Which was only two teams, but still. 
Um, Wait, that was pretty impressive. I had I had down for in twenty four seven. They they finished with the number one class each of the last ten years, dating back to twenty eleven when Bama first started its streak. Yeah. Bama and Georgia are the only two teams that have that have had the number one recruiting class in the country. That's what I just said. I think you said eight out of the last ten. No, no, if I did, I didn't mean to say that. All right, like, eight out of the last ten was Bam, and then like, or yeah, and then two out of the last three was so, yeah, yeah. They, they've done they've done it for a decade straight. Regardless, maybe that's maybe I mis- misspoke. Regardless, thought that was cool. Tennessee closing with a top ten class. That's where I say like like we expect the. I'm not trying to like gloss over Georgia, Bama, LSU, or even Florida and Auburn because we kind of expect them to have these like bigger classes and finish in the top ten, in my opinion. But the fact that Tennessee was able to jump up in the in the top ten was awesome. The fact that South Carolina was able to hold on to a guy like Jordan Birch was awesome. Kentucky finishing in the top 25 class. You have 13 of the 14 teams finishing in the top 50. And Sam effing Pittman. If you are an Arkansas fan, this has to get you so fired up. It made me fired up. And I'm, I've been a lifelong Alabama fan. And I think for most people in the SEC, haven't thought twice about the University of Arkansas from like a football standpoint, unless it's like like not in a rude way, but kind of like making fun of it or like in jest because of the, the past two seasons under... under uh, uh, Chad Morris, the greatest OC in the history of man. Um, but the fact that Sam Pittman was able to close, he was literally ranked behind Harvard when he took over. Think about that, Connor. He was ranked behind Harvard in his recruiting class, close to the top 30 class. I thought that was awesome. This Eli Drinkowitz thing, Mizzou, I know they closed the 48. I know Mizzou is literally the team that gets crapped on the most in the SEC. And, and you guys know my stance on that because I hate it. This kid was from Texas. He did not go to Texas. He picked up the Texas hat, threw it, like you said. Bama, he said, was his dream school. It, this is one of those things we talked about where these kids come in late, or these these coaches come in late and offer, and then it kind of takes away from these other other you know middle middle tier recruiting classes. The fact that he and even as a Bama fan, the fact that he spurned Bama, which was his quote unquote dream school, and went with the school that offered him first, I loved it. I love the whole thing was awesome. SEC flexed on everybody on signing day. Everyone, I mean, everyone, seven seven teams in the top ten. I mean, <laughs> come on. Come on. Dude, Bama and Georgia alone. You, you see the breakdown of five stars? They had 15, so they had more than half for the second year in a row. But the fact that Bama and Georgia alone had the same amount of five stars as the entire Big Ten combined is stupid. Each, each I mean, that's just stupid. As I said, there's a reason that the playoff has been that one-sided and why the Big Ten yeah. has struggled so much in the playoff, and that is largely responsible for it. Marler, Facebook Live... Monday nights before the Bachelor, before you uh, do you record? Do you record your Bachelor podcast on on Monday night afterwards, or do you wait till midweek? We wait till midweek because we've had well last week there was two episodes which sucked, um, but we're all three in different time zones. So like, oh yeah, like Kristen's in Alabama, Paige's in San Francisco. Um, I'm live from Williams Birch Stadium every single week, <laughs> and so it is. Uh, it is. It's like we're we. We would like to do it tomorrow, but it's it's just kind of tough trying to figure out like all the different weeks. We've had a, uh, I don't know. We had um, we'll, we'll, we'll probably record it tomorrow at some point or Wednesday. Madison's totally gonna win. Yeah, right. we're recording this before the the Monday night episode, but yeah. yes, the Auburn basketball player. It's about the SEC. It's totally gonna yeah. win. It's 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 obvious at this point. All right, Marler. Um, make sure that if you are not following all of Marlowe's great content on SDS social media platforms, you should be doing so. Follow us on Instagram at Saturday Down South. Follow us on Twitter at the SDS Pod at Fern Funquist at CJ O'Gara. 
We're gonna have a lot of stuff coming up. We have so much stuff. I feel like March Madness is, is right, right around the corner, and I'm gonna start paying attention to basketball more, I promise. Um, but we have so much great stuff going up on SDS right now. I'm really excited about it. Like I said, I'm gonna have that Justin Jefferson story hopefully coming out this upcoming weekend. So, appreciate everybody who has been following along for all things SDS and is here through basketball season. Find all of our great XFL coverage as well. We've yeah. all of it. So, Marler, Coach Joe, Matt Luke, Ron Jeremy, anybody else that we need, <laughs> we need to remember. It might mean too much, y'all. Talk to you next week.